My name is Tyler. I was raised in the Central Valley of California, more specifically Ceres and Modesto area. I've had many run-ins with the law. One of the most memorable was in the summer of 2012 in Ceres, California. At this point in my life, my addiction to drugs and alcohol was in full swing. I was outside a friend's apartment. We were listening to music and a song came on and I was I was feeling it, you know, so I proceeded to start dancing. I was partially in the road, making a scene, being goofy. A unmarked car with no lights on pulls up. A pers- person in plain clothes gets out and tells me that I'm being detained. Apparently this was a cop on his way to work. Anyway, I took off running, and I'm running through these alleys, and I got away at first, and I decided to hide. I peeked around this corner of the alley, and it was like perfect timing. The the cop and I, we saw each other. He was perpendicular to the alley with the squad car. So I proceeded to turn and run and jump a fence, and as I'm like at the top of the fence, he grabs me and throws me to the ground. At that time, I thought they got me. Um... I was on the floor. I did, you know. I learned a lot that day. One thing I did learn was the attack and let go command in German. The let go command resonates for me because they were yelling it at the dog and it wouldn't release my leg. I don't know if it was due to bad training or like a bloodlust, but they had to pry the dog's jaws apart to get it off my leg. It was honestly a little tra- traumatizing. I harbored resentment toward that cop for a long time. I had to let that go. He wasn't carrying a, he wasn't worth carrying around all that hate. It was excessive force in my mind. They took me to the hospital, sewed me up. They booked me in on obstruction charges and then released me the same night. I had a broken foot and my leg was tore up real bad. I've never heard anything about it after that, but mind you, I did leave the state shortly after that. Uh, In their mind, I was just, you know, a drug addict that day, and because of my defiance, my life didn't matter to them. As of now, you know, I cooperate with law enforcement, and I'll, you know, honestly, I'll never give them a reason to do anything like that to me ever again, hopefully. They have to weigh whether or not they actually need the police against how this could escalate and somebody innocent could be killed. I think it's saying there is overreach and there is probably some very questionable judgment going on. You have to remember that the police officer that's pulling you over is a person. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Social Discord, episode 24, Good Cop, Bad Cop, Part 3, How to Become a Cop or a Criminal. I'm your host, Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. So we just listened to that pretty startling audio that was sent in uh, by a fan. How do you guys feel about that? (sighs) That was difficult to listen to. Yeah. um... It's really interesting because for me, every time I recount, recount, is that, that's a word, right? Every time I tell a story about you know, an encounter with a cop or whatever it may be, it's just like off the top of my head. But you hear 
like at the point where he turns the page and he put a lot of thought into this it seems like yeah. like this is something that he's taking very seriously yeah you know so um i know tyler um i actually went to high school with him oh really um, yeah yeah so uh i put out on my facebook you know hey does anyone have good story about a cop bad story about a cop um and you know i was like kind of like just send it in uh we'll discuss it i kind of expected to have a few different things you know uh to kind of just do a a mashup of, of a bunch of um stories back and forth and that one was the one that caught my ear um i know it caught your ear too um you know i wasn't expecting sort of the importance behind what was in that message he seemed like it was a struggle to get it out. Yeah. You know, like you were saying, you know, about the, the, when you, you know, he's turning a page, which the only time I've ever known people to be reading it off who aren't like, you know, in an in industry or whatever is when they're telling a story, they want to get it right. And they know that if they don't do that, it's going to be, you know, they're going to, you know, not be able to get through it. Um, so you can hear, that emotion in his voice, uh, it was really hard to hear because, you know, I went to high school with him. I, you know, I've kind of kept up with him just a little bit on, on Facebook and I really appreciated him sending that in, mm -hmm. uh, yes, telling Tyler, that story. If you're listening to this, thank you very, very much. Um, it's, it's so hard to listen to, you know, it, it there's a lot of questions that, that come up when you hear it. Um, how in the world, is somebody in plain clothes expecting somebody else to just believe that they're a cop? Yeah, Kara, <laughs> you and I had that the same reaction right yeah. when he said that a, a plain clothes officer, assumingly on his way to work. What, like, what was your reaction to hearing that? Yeah, I mean, that would scare me. And I, 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 I've been told as a woman all the time, even just, hey, if you see someone come up to your car, they pull you over, and they, they don't have, you know, a uniform on, you have every right to call 911 and confirm. But it didn't sound like Tyler even had time to confirm that this was a mm -hmm. real cop. And something that stood out to me as well, and that was him mentioning how obviously traumatic is the word he used it was to go through this experience with the dog. Uh, and it really just highlights, you know, his, the rest of his life and probably the people around him, their their views of police officers are mm -hmm. going to be shaped because of this incident. Um, and the, I mean, how many people in America have the same views and trauma? Well, and he, he makes the remark of how the, the dog won't release. The dog won't release. And it's, you know, saying it's these German commands. And he's like, I don't know if it's bad training or if it's bloodlust. And the fact that bloodlust, like, came to his thought process it's horrifying. I like, know why, though. I mean, be because a, a dog doesn't know what they're doing. Like, it, to them, it's a game, right? I mean, right. that's how, you know, they don't train. It would be traumatic for a dog to, like, truly understand that this mm -hmm. is a, you know, a bad person or whatever. But, like, you know, maybe if the person is attacking, say, you know, their owner or something like that. But in this case, you know, they, they sent the dogs after him just because he was running away. Right. You know, so the dog, you know, just thinking this is a, this is a game and that can be confused with bloodlust. I mean, you know, if if uh, if you're the one that they're gnarling. And maybe maybe I missed it. Maybe I was just caught up in the audio, but 
did he say he was doing anything illegal? Like, did he, he say- said he was dancing in the street? He said he, so. So I think the uh, you know, he didn't say this, but the assumption that I got from it was he was somehow intoxicated or mm-hmm. on drugs or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was dancing in a street. He didn't say whether or not he was being like a nuisance or like you know blocking traffic or anything, yeah. which is a, you know the reason that you think would most people would would kind of like pull pull him over or whatever right. pull over to stop it. Um, so he admitted that he was being a nuisance, but you know, that's kind of the situation where in most cases, if it was a cop, they would be like, Hey, you stop doing that. I'm a cop and there are consequences. And then, you know, if he continued or something, or he was actually a danger to himself, Mm -hmm. then you might get, you know, you might call an on-duty cop or something like that. But this guy seems like, based on this story, and again, we're not hearing the other side of this, you know, so we're kind of basing it all on Tyler's perspective. But based on that, seems like this guy who's off-duty, he decided to sort of, you know, be a Canadian Mountie and always get his man. And he decided that this infraction was worth his time, his energy, and possibly killing Tyler mm-hmm. to stop it. And to me, that's sort of like textbook excessive force. Yeah. No, I, I mean, agree. the fact that they dropped the charges immediately probably means that they thought that too. Yeah. Um, you know, otherwise they would have arrested him, done a bunch of other things to justify this. Well, and, and he's, as he points out, he's like, you know, they just saw him as just a drug addict. You right. Know, just another, just another drug addict on the street. You know, let's, target him or you know whatever it may be and right yeah it's frustrating well and there's from the conservative perspective remember that quote from a few episodes ago a couple episodes ago where you said something like like you know all these liberals want to make laws that protect the criminal and you know and it's like you know you know feel bad for them or whatever but like you create the criminal when you mm-hmm. overdo this this kind of force um, mm-hmm. for what is essentially nothing. He's being a nuisance. That yeah. is that does not justify all of these things. You know, there is my aunt and I have very different views. You know, and in, in a lot of ways about just like what a police officer's role is in society. But her and I were both talking about and agreed upon the fact that. A lot of us make stupid mistakes. A lot of us get drunk and and dance in the streets. A lot of us are nuisances, but a lot of us don't get caught. A lot of us aren't, you know, people of color, minorities. A lot of us aren't someone that's um, particularly vulnerable to to the legal system. So, I mean, imagine if we all got caught for all the things we're doing. So maybe the rest of us are just getting lucky. Well, a lot of people don't live in areas that are over-policed. You know, I mean, this is so series, you know, as a town that I grew up in, uh, it's you know it's 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 sort of a of of a in the middle of a large population that kind of just is un, un unending um, wave of population that just you know goes from city to city. But in that whole say forty five minute stretch, there's about a million people, mm-hmm. um, and so it, I would call it even though this is gonna you know if you're in the rural area you're like whoa a million people like I'd actually call that a pretty small city yeah. um, because of how far it's stretched out, um, and yet. Growing up there, I know firsthand that it is, you know, it is a dangerous place to live. And that's why the police try so hard. But at the same time, the police have, you know, a terrible reputation um, for for over-policing to try to make up for the criminal element that is there. I, 
part of me, and I understand, obviously, this is a, a terrible situation for Tyler, and it, by all means, like, I, I agree that it was excessive force, but, and we'll discuss this further on in the episode, but part of me wants to, like, part of me wonders if he hadn't ran, what would have happened? Because I know there's going to be Much a lot less. of a lot of people out there that will say, well, he shouldn't have ran, which sure. part of me agrees with it. I, if he hadn't ran, it probably would have been like, okay, like, just stop doing this or whatever. And so, so the the, yeah. the textbook answer is you you never run. Yeah. Uh, it, it is stupid to run in this day and age. You know, if you're in your car, they have your license plate. They know who you are. Uh, if you're standing in front of your house or somebody else's house, you know, mo- most likely they're going to catch you even if they don't catch you. So yes. it is incredibly stupid and short-sighted to run. Um, however, that I believe is more like victim blaming. Um, right. You know, it's like, oh, well, you run. So therefore we can do whatever we want to you. You, you know, you shouldn't have threw that gum on the sidewalk, you know, now, because you ran now, you know, you got a bullet in your head. Like, right. <laughs> like, nope, that, that's, that does not justify that. <laughs> it's saying, yeah, because you ran, you're opening yourself up to all these different types of disciplines. Right. That can happen it's just like you. saying, you know, oh, you were wearing a short skirt. Well, you were asking for it. Like, no, that's victim right. blaming. Right. <laughs> no, they were not asking for it you know you did the the terrible thing to them mm-hmm. but i do go back to to i know it's i'm unless i'm you know misremembering it sounded like another cop did show up um but i still do go back to the the plain clothes thing like i i just don't think a citizen should be expected to follow someone's orders especially in the height of that moment especially if you're intoxicated in any way um to follow orders from a person in plain clothes like i've i've specifically been taught growing up not to listen to somebody in plain clothes until mm-hmm. I can verify that they are, in fact, a police officer. Right. So I, I do think it's a bit unfair to hold someone accountable to that as well. Also, I, I so I actually looked into this because of this call. Um, so most police uh, forces or say um, – how do you say that? Like jurisdictions? Um, sure. <laughs> whatever. Most police – offices um <laughs> uh they actually discourage any cops doing what this cop did i mean yeah. for uh, for 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 any reason i mean not just the excessive force part but even even saying i'm a cop you're under arrest like they really discourage that because they're it's so easy to overturn any crime yeah. that that they they might stop and it's so dangerous, it actually puts the cop at a disadvantage. Sure. Yeah. That if it is a truly dangerous situation, they you know, they don't have backup coming usually. They you know, or they don't know where their backup is. They don't not they might not be wearing their bulletproof vest or, you know, or have, have their full arsenal or whatever. Like, it, I mean, it's terrible. It's a terrible idea to it, do. It opens up everything to just these horrible legal questions because there's just so much liability involved. Yeah. You know, and uh, Unless the act is like, oh, like this person is about to cause a ton of harm right. or a ton of damage, yes. Otherwise, it's so easy to get overturned. The exception is if them not interfering will cause loss of life or something like that. Yeah. You know, like the you know the Austin shooting we talked about a, a, a couple of episodes ago that happened way back in the what was it the sixties or no it was the fifties wasn't it? Um, I'm blanking out, but it happened decades ago. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in that case, that was the perfect example of why of how like some a cop who was in plain clothes would definitely want to yes. stop a shooter from killing people. Yeah. Uh, you want them to do that. Or even as simple as 
a cop is getting groceries at a store and he sees an armed robber. Sure. Perfect scenario. Sure. But, you know, you see, uh, you know, a plainclothes cop and there's some kids skateboarding and he pulls <laughs> his gun on them and accidentally shoots one. Oh, my god! Not justifiable. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm laughing because it's such a silly, like, like you know, situation to be in. But these things really are yeah. happening. Yeah. You know, I, I felt bad when I realized all of a sudden I was laughing because that. It's <laughs> real. a real thing that is yes. going on, you know, that, like, you know, it's you want to say that it's never happens, mm-hmm. but it happens enough that police are getting a really bad reputation um, with, I'd say, the average person who deals with them on a daily basis. Yeah. So before we get further into this, um, this episode is going to be a little bit different than the past two we've done in this series, which focus more on history and context Um, Like I said, the uh, subtitle of this episode, How to Become a Cop or a Criminal. Curtis, can you real quick, before we dive in further into the actual content of the episode, explain what it is we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so I really wanted to start with with that call because that totally changed how I wanted to do this episode. Um, Originally, I was going to suggest something fun. I was going to say, hey, let's have let's talk about movie culture, you know, with cops and and, uh, you know, how how a lot of times there's superheroes and, and, you know, this whole thing. And, you know, I was going to I was going to even do a little super cut of like all these different cops from different movies and (laughs) stuff, you know, Um, uh, yippee-ki-yay, you know, I was definitely going to be in there. And then I got this call and, you know, it suddenly decided it wasn't as funny and, and entertaining as, as, as I would have liked it to have been yeah. because this is a real thing that it really affects people. Um, so given that, that we've started that way, we're going to take a more serious tone for this episode. Um, and uh, this episode's called How to Become a Cop or a Criminal. And we're going to sort of take an archive archetypal cop and we're going to talk about the different things that can lead them to break bad uh we're also going to talk about how easy it is to be a criminal um how easy it is to get into that system for things that are fairly minor um like dancing in the street Mm -hmm. um you know you never think that that would lead to 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 that (laughs) repercussion but it does um so yeah so just want to uh talk about good cops how they become bad cops or maybe they already were bad cops and how the system uh, sort of hides them rewards even bad cops Mm -hmm. when they shouldn't so the instance in which tyler was uh i mean for lack of a better word attacked and arrested um that and we talked about it in the last episode, I believe uh, we talked about consensual crimes and that is one way in which you can be arrested. So let's dive into some other ways you can be arrested, starting with disturbing the peace, which I guess, you know, it's a public safety violation. I guess you can kind of say Tyler was probably disturbing the peace. Someone would argue. Yeah. You could say just about anything is disturbing the peace because much. because your peace might be different than my peace yep. you know my peace might be playing loud drums in my garage your peace might be total silence my peace mm-hmm. starts at 7 p.m when i'm ready for bed so yeah so i mean it's 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 a law that's just really wide um 
and and it is is a large portion of why people are arrested, especially mm-hmm. people who don't necessarily already have um, a criminal background. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like your easiest entry into the criminal force. And you'll see actually a lot of these lower level kind of misdemeanors and whatnot are pretty wide ranging and vague. And a big part of that is because in the justice system, they'll try and pin them on something bigger. But because they have these lower level things, they'll go into a plea deal and plead guilty on these lower level offenses. Mm-hmm. Because they have to get them for something, right? Yes. So it, it's actually fairly rare that that you just get off scot-free. Like it's it's kind of an insult to the, like they feel like they've wasted their time mm-hmm. um, if, if you are completely innocent. Um, yeah. They want you to be guilty of something. Otherwise, they did their job poorly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so disturbing the peace, uh, laws that exist to make that make it a crime to create any kind of public disruption or commotion. Um, one of the things I don't like about how the United States is set up is we have vastly different laws in different states. Yeah. Um, and you you cross a state line and something that was legal is suddenly illegal. Um, you know, it's like in this state, we don't, you know, we don't play music after 10 p.m. or that's an arrestable crime, mm-hmm. you know. But in this state, there is no such law. So it's, you know, up to the judgment of of, of the, the police officer or, you know, something like that. Um, in most states, though, the person's conduct must have been on purpose, willful, yeah. um, or with bad intent, otherwise in other words, malicious. Um, so it's not enough that a person just engaged in a annoying thing that harassed somebody, but they have to have sort of willfully like disturbed the peace. So that's why when a cop comes to your house and says, stop doing this, that that's not just a warning. That's actually getting you into the legal uh, sort of bind of yeah. if you continue doing it, now it is arrestable. Yeah. It's like setting up your intent, basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's so very good. Yes. One, it's the irony of you see all the videos on YouTube and you know the internet of the Karens calling the police on you know young black teens and whatnot for disturbing the peace, and then it turns right back around to where well, no, she's the one disturbing the peace because these kids aren't doing anything malicious. Right, they're just standing there. <laughs> 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 exactly. Um, actually, I, I so I, I think it's okay to share this story. A friend of mine, um, he he was so he couldn't get into a camping ground, and he decided him and his friends to camp in a parking lot um, of a grocery store that was closed. And then the next morning, he needed to use the restroom, so he decided to pee in the parking lot. I don't know where. But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure knowing the person, he wasn't like peeing on the door or something. He was just <laughs> like, you know, peeing on a tree or something. Right. Um, the person who was opening up the place called the police on him for disturbing the peace. Wow. Um, for urinating. And uh, and and so he had to have a whole interaction with, with the police officer over this. And this was – I don't think it was arrestable, but it definitely was like – Police was trying to give him a ticket for it. Well, uh, you could be, you could technically be uh, a charged as a offender, sex offender right? for peeing yeah. in public. Can you really? Yeah. yeah. I, I uh, drunk twenty one year old Kara was reminded of that a couple times. Kara, so. no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, you can literally get on the sex offender sex offender list. Yeah. But again, it's one of those things of like you're unlucky enough to be caught. 
Like it's, I mean, so many and get a, kids and get a do police it. officer exactly. that wants to ruin your life for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's like those little things. Like, come on. I cannot tell you how many times I've peed off the back of my deck <laughs> in this house. <laughs> You're in the middle of nowhere, there. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'm going to offend the cows. <laughs> Let, so some of the factors that a judge can consider, though, uh, yes. for whether or not it's disturbing of the piece is the location, like yours. <laughs> well, I don't. I think it would be very hard to prove that that was yes. disturbing anyone. Uh, <laughs> um, the time of day, the place, the oh, I don't know what the difference is there, but uh, the words that you. You were used if it was something that you do with like if you were you know cursing or something like that um the amount of you know the, the kind of escalation of actions mm-hmm. um things like that um and and so judges have a huge discrepancy of whether to to whether or not to do this and that's actually it's, it's weird because i think the same thing that i res- the same reason i respect judges it's the same reason that i don't i don't really like police that they have this this amount of power mm-hmm. because a judge knows can see the full picture after the fact and they can say nah that wasn't you know that's not yeah. a crime that you know that was there was circumstances or whatever they they have that separation but a cop is in the moment they make a split second decision and and suddenly your life is changed yeah. um you know it, it, and and you know police do have a idea of what the law is you know they like some of them are very smart and they know that this this just you know this is justified or whatever but they can't understand all of the different things around it mm-hmm. so i feel like more mistakes happen because we give police so much open range of to decide and they're like let the court sort it out well and that's why I, I personally believe that every police officer should have at least two years of criminal justice Secondary education. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, a, I'm a pretty strong believer in that. I mean, they're enforcing the law. I mean, yeah. it, they're enforcing the law. <laughs> Do they know it? it mm-hmm. if, if you're a police officer and you have to ask yourself whether or not this is worth ruining their life over, the answer is no. You well, shouldn't but, have to ask yourself. It I, should be something so crazy. For a lot of police officers, that's not what they're thinking about. What they're thinking about is enforcing the law. No, they're thinking about, am I covered if I do this? And maybe so. And that's not right. Like, that's thinking like mm-hmm. a politician. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, will I get voted out if I, you know, vote for this? Or right. Whatever? It's like that. It's like, you know, police officers thinking, you know, of course they they want to help. I get that part. But in the moment, they're thinking, you know, Am I justified? If I was on a stand, a court in a court case on the stand, would I get away with this kind of thing, or mm-hmm. would or what not? You know, not necessarily get away, but like, would would it be acceptable? Mm-hmm. Why don't we move on to public safety crimes? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so okay, yeah. So the quote here is: "Public safety crimes are crimes that are off that often seem trivial. These crimes are important because they help officers deal with situations before they get out of control. So a little this, bit more of like a preventative measure. This I is guess. like the precogs in uh, Minority <laughs> Report. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like this, this is like except for just a couple of things, like I don't know, like murder. You know, like, like you don't have to commit murder to be a, a guilty of attempted mm-hmm. murder. But other than like a couple of really crazy things where you, it's you know, really, it's, it's really clear you intended to do something really bad. Yeah. Um, other than that, I'm, I'm kind of against some of these preventative measures because it gives police way m- more to do before there is anything to right. do. 
And, and again, it gives them too much freedom to decide that this will be illegal. Well, um, it, it makes a subjective enforcement of the law even more subjective because you're trying to enforce the law before the real crime is even broken, kind of. Right. Although, in a, in a, I will say in a police officer's defense, I can see how this would be a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Right. Because and that's if something true. does happen, the, the first thing out of someone's mouth is going to be like, you could have stopped this. You saw them getting rowdy. You saw this coming. You know, we, we of course, all want to live in a safe society. So I, I can see in a police officer's defense why they would rather be safe than sorry and yeah. having to answer for why someone got shot or why so a rock went through someone's window or yeah. any of those things where escalation could <laughs> so happen. So I was, I was in Alabama a couple of years ago. Miami. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I was walking through like the downtown – and all of a sudden, I saw people with with semi automatic weapons just walking around, just just really calm. I mean, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it took me a few minutes to discover that there actually was a, con- a gun convention going on, oh. <laughs> and they were just walking into the gun convention. Now, a, a cop has to has to decide, you know, okay, there's a gun convention, so this is not a dangerous situation. I don't need to do anything. But if those same people were standing, I don't know, uh, you know, in San Francisco or something like the cops would probably be a lot more freaked out, you know, because it's not as common. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's the, the, where the issue comes into play with these, like the public safety crimes, or it's a more of a proactive approach to the real more dangerous crime is that's where personal biases really come into play. Yeah. Because it's like you're, you know, say I'm a racist cop. Just to that's the stereotypical example. I see, you know, this white kid over here and oh, he's a white kid, he's fine. But I see this black kid, oh well, you know, he's gonna cause some issues. I'm gonna go at him with, you know, oh well you were doing this and it was gonna lead to this. The thing I always say though is I think it has a lot more to do with how they carry themselves, not just a skin color at this point. Some cops are yes. just racist, but that same, you know, they could be doing the same thing. And if they're, if they're in, you know, a polo shirt mm-hmm. <laughs> um, versus like, you know, stereotypical sort of gang member attire in a gang area, you know, the cop is going to look at it in a different way. And I could see the justification for, for, for why they might want to prejudge that person, but, they they shouldn't <laughs> yes. because you don't know what someone's heart is before they do it. Yeah. Well, I, people will probably, I think a pretty good example of this and granted the, obviously the circumstances are very different, but you know, the cases in which, um, you know, a, a person is shot because they, you know, someone, a police officer thinks they have a gun. Turns out it was just like a stick or whatever. And then Kyle Rittenhouse who, you know, he was just, just walking around walk around and yeah. he ended up killing two people. And regardless, like I said, the circumstances are also obviously very different. But I, I, I think you can't ignore that hypocrisy of the two things. No, or the the institutionalized and like ingrained um, preconceived notions. There's there's a show, I think I've mentioned it before. It's called 100 Humans. It's on Netflix. And essentially mm-hmm. it brings 100 different people from all demographics, all races, all ages 
into a room and they play different scenarios out. Like the little silly things like, oh, separate people by age and have them put together something with instructions, you know, to like see. But there was one experiment and it was um, like a, a black room, like a dark room with different objects in the way. And the individual would come up with a, a like a fake gun and the people hiding behind the objects, these these folks are all friends. You know, they've been together for weeks and weeks doing this study and they have to do like an immediate response kind of thing. And the the percentage of people who would trigger the gun, because um, their aim was to hit a burglar or whatever, right. the people who would trigger the gun when a, a black person jumped out was astoundingly high. And it wow. was like very traumatic for even like black individuals had the same reaction too. And, you know, there was a couple of people who were just broke down in tears because they're like, that's, that's my friend. And that was my thing. So, the, I mean... The, the, this all plays a role. Obviously, there's like something in our society that's caused these ingrained thoughts and the systemic racism. And like that that has to play a role. We're talking about other humans using their judgment on these things. And that's quite scary when you think about how ingrained these things are in, our, in ourselves as humans. Mm-hmm. I might actually underestimate, you know, the amount of racism that people have but my point is that i don't think people always realize you yeah know, like all these people that you know were trigger happy when a black person jumped out from behind these things i i don't think half of them would describe themselves as racist like in their daily life if yeah. they talk to a black person they wouldn't treat right. them differently but they're in friends. this this very unique situation there there our society has done something mm-hmm. to cause this like so deep inside of us and so it is really tough to realize that these human beings are the ones making judgment yeah. calls on on people well and curtis at the top of the episode you know you you talked about how you wanted originally to talk about you know about culture and movie influence and whatnot but you know there's still a part where we can talk about that seriously because for so long black actors could only fall into very specific roles and those roles were um you know slave roles back in the day housekeeping roles you know gangster roles these very specific stereotypical yeah. roles, and it's now that we're start we're starting to see black superheroes. We're starting to see black, you know, protagonists in there, different light. You know, there's a fantastic movie I recommend to everyone called Hollywood Shuffle with Robert Townsend. Um, I just watched it. It's hilarious. Um, it, it it was also I think co oh, I think it was co written by Keenan Ivory Wayans. Um, it was like oh wow, like, pretty much like his first movie. It was like hmm. right around the time of um um. Don't be a menace, I think it was. Yeah. Um, anyway, but uh, I recommend it because it, Robert Townsend plays a black um, actor struggling in Hollywood who refuses to play a stereotypical gangster role because he wants to change the image, and and that's right. exactly what it's about. Like, there's a great line in there where he says, "I want to be the first black Superman." You know, mm. like like why is that such a big deal, kind of thing. Like you know, yeah. like why can't there be that? And you got to remember, you know, this is the '80s where nothing like that had ever really been done. Right. Um, so you know, now it's a little bit more common to have you know be, to consider um, different races for all kinds of different parts. But back back then, there was this idea that that you know, if you were black, you had to play one of those one of those types of mm. people. So yeah, highly recommend it. But yeah, I wanted to go over real quick. I think this was all under. The public safety crime section. And this is from the criminallawyer.com? Yeah, criminallawyer.com was really helpful um, in breaking down some of the the way that the law looks at, at arrests. Yeah. Um, and uh, from that website, these are the different things you could be arrested for. So this is – like to me, this this is 
this is easy. Like I actually mm-hmm. thought it would be harder to become a criminal, and it really it's not that hard. You don't. <laughs> I thought it'd be harder. You don't have to do a bank robbery to become a criminal. Like you can. So the first thing, yeah, fighting or challenging someone to fight in a public space. Um, I, I know a couple of people who have who have gotten arrested for this actually. Um, Good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes when they were the you know instigator, sometimes when they were just defending their life. I mean that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're when someone when someone threatens to fight you, you have to threaten them back just for them to back off. Right. And that's actually illegal. That can make you into a criminal right there. Um, using offensive words in public in a public place likely to incite violence, and that's wide open. I mean, yeah. again, offensive to who? You know, why Why are these words offensive? Mm-hmm. Um, shouting in a public place intending to incite violence or unlawful activity. Very similar to number two. Yeah. Um. I mean, January 6th, I think, you know, could be that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing that there's some kind of allowance if you're if you're protesting something, but... Well, and I, I think the, the hard thing with that is proving the intent to incite violence. Right. You know? It's all about what's going to happen because nobody wants to wait for it to happen. Yeah. You know, which I don't know. To me, I know it's terrible when, when bad things happen, it's terrible, but I think the majority of crimes should be crimes that happened. Yeah. Not intended to happen. Saying, yeah. I don't know. It's just, to me, that's just, it's too, mm-hmm. too wide of a, of a scope. Um, bullying a student on or near school grounds. Um, yep. I remember in high school, I there was a round-the-clock uh, city cop that would be there. Mm-hmm. And at first, we thought it was, you know, pretty cool because we had that protection, right? Because this yeah. was, you know, right after Columbine and all that stuff. But then I had a couple of friends who were arrested in high school for yeah. nothing, for drugs, something stupid. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden we realized like they're not just there to protect us. They're sort of there to just monitor every little thing we do mm-hmm. and make it an, and escalate it to something that it doesn't have to be. Yeah. All of the uh, – the they're known as school resource officers mm-hmm. and all three high schools in uh, uh, my town in Missoula had them. Um, the one at my high school was named JJ. Super <laughs> – Super cool guy. Apparently, he was actually kind of a, ironically a bully in high school. Um, <laughs> Perfect, but, right? But as an it's adult, that or a bouncer, that's what yeah. you have to become, right? As an adult, super nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, holding an unlawful public assembly, which gosh, that could be anything. Uh, shouting profanities out of a car window in front of a person's home. <laughs> over an extended period of time. I guess that's like harassment and harassment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to me, like in my my, my dumb mind, like... Curtis, I, you suck! <laughs> in my dumb mind, like extended period of time was just like driving really slow. <laughs> you, Curtis, yeah, you suck. suck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not what that means. That means like basically, basically pestering someone to yes. the point of like... Of, like causing them harm um allowing excessive dog barking in a residential area because I get it. I that understand. is yeah that's a serious crime <laughs> that you know we we all we all need to make sure those people spend years in jail um intentionally playing loud music during the night that 
that continues even after that fair warning. Which there you go. This, is, this one's for you, Kara. This is literally, <laughs> I'm not kidding you, the clock hits nine and I'm like, ah, nope, ah, turn it off. Like, not in my nine. house. You guys, I'm really, grandma. I'm to go to 10. I, I am. 10 is like the fair, Ugh, like. Fine, 10. <laughs> I'm like ready for bed by nine every night. Oh, I am like, eye mask on, sound machine on, fans going. Like, I'm not kidding you, 901. I'm Curtis, not tolerating it. Kara and I are old people. <laughs> We're old souls. See, th- this is what you do. If, if if music's playing at a neighbor's house, first you you ask if you can get invited. <laughs> you go for a drink for like an hour, and you're like, okay, I, I gotta get to sleep. Is there any way you could turn it down? Okay, cool, bro. Wow, that's <laughs> cool, very bro. Diplomatic. Now you call them and they say you're not invited. You're like, nope. <laughs> call the police. I will say, I'm joking, all, all I'm jokes aside, I have definitely had to have this conversation with myself. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can be Karen in my heart sometimes. And I'm like, okay, Kara, like, someone playing music, especially given the reactions that we've seen from police, is not a reason for me to put someone's life in danger. Exactly. So if you're ever thinking about calling on someone for being a public nuisance or a public safety issue, like, are you okay with putting their life yeah. at risk too? Are you okay with that? And, and if, you know, if your life is not in danger, Can let you it go. Over it. Yeah. yeah. See, yeah, we still, like, our neighbors, when we live in our apartment in Austin, before we moved out here, um, they were crazy. And I felt bad because he had dementia really bad and he thought the KGB was still after him. It was a whole ordeal. Um so nice old man, but I'm I'm happy I don't live next to him anymore. <laughs> just a nice now paranoid I just, old man. <laughs> I just have the cows just yelling at me each morning. Um, for those listening, you're going to hear a lot about the cows from here on out for the, throughout this entire podcast. Um, <laughs> but there really, are cows outside the window? Legitimately. <laughs> so um, this you have here um, ideas yeah. that were not on the website, and you have public intoxication, which I feel like is a very obvious one. Yeah, and it probably goes with one of those other things, uh, you know, but technically, if even if you're not creating a nuisance, if you're intoxicated at all, you can be arrested. One thing I learned a while back in my college years uh, was that they would pull you over on a bicycle, for example, if, oh. if they suspected slash took a wild guess mm-hmm. that you might be intoxicated because right. you were on a bike at 2 a.m., um, and I never had anyone pull me over on my bike, um, but I did have several friends that, that you know, they might have had a drink, but they were not being any kind of public nuisance, but they, they would get cited or at least warned. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a thing where um, you can't get pulled over for riding on a horse drunk. <laughs> I'm... I'm... <laughs> I think that's, that's got to be one. That's got to be a <laughs> urban legend. City folk have different, or country folk have different rules. <laughs> Either yeah. that, or I'm getting a horse. <laughs> um, uh, you, you can't stop traffic, yeah. block movement, um, such as an unregistered protest. Um, uh, breaking, you can't break a curfew, which, which like would be a, if you, like a hurricane was happening. I think technically you can be arrested for being out when you're not supposed to be or in an area you're not supposed to be. Um, and then if you're a juvenile, uh, a lot of cities have it where you can't be af- out after a certain time. Um, so, so yeah, it can be for that too. Um, I, what was curfew drilled into you guys as a kid? Like my mom put the fear of God in me that if I was out past 10 p.m. in the neighborhood, that the cops were literally going to come get me and arrest me and send me home. Was this not a thing for you guys? I, I'm trying to remember. You can honestly. I was just curious. No, uh, I mean, as a kid, 
I didn't really go out that much. We'd play a lot of like hide and seek in the neighborhoods. Like, oh, right. same. And then our parents were like, if you guys don't get home, the police officer are going to come bring you home. So the, the clock was struck 10 and I would book it. Like, I can't get a permanent record. <laughs> I, I will say, like, we, like, you know, we had curfews and whatnot, but we also, there was like, uh, on the neighborhood, we had a big field at the end of our neighborhood. And then across the field, there was another neighborhood and there was, like a pretty well-known like pedophile over there, oh, good. and then in another neighborhood on the other side of our neighborhood, um, I remember it was me, one of my brothers, and some friends. We found a dog, and um, a guy came driving around, and you know we were trying walking around the neighborhood with his dog, and he's like, "Oh, you found my dog, thank you." He's like, "Why don't you come by later and you know Ooh. give me a reward?" And you know, of course, all of our parents were like, "No." And then that man was arrested for molesting, like, a bunch of children. Jesus. Um, oh, my gosh. And so I definitely understand, like, as younger, you know, we had curfew. But, yeah, like, same thing. Like, we we grew up, I mean, other than, I guess, the two pedophiles. Um, like, it was a very, like, stereotypical American white pick events neighborhood where we all just played ball tag in everybody's yards and everything. So. I couldn't agree to that kind of curfew. The one curfew item that bothers me is, like, like when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, mm-hmm. um, I was in South Carolina at the time in a town that would not protest Black Lives Matter because they're very conservative. Um, and so they put a curfew out just in case mm, yeah, a Basically, protest might break out. <laughs> like prevent. I mean, it prevents free speech in a way as well, right? Well, yeah. I mean, like, but yeah, I mean, they, they treated it because it was happening in other cities. They treated it like it was already going to mm. just destroy society if people protested. Um, and I thought that was creepy. I don't know, creepy of the government to to tell others. Like, it made me want to protest, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, it, it, like it, it, it pissed me off that that sort of like it was this veiled racism that you know if, that they were doing it because it was over Black Lives Matter, whereas mm-hmm. you know if it was a pro-Trump rally or whatever, like it you know would would have been totally fine. Yeah. So well, it just it gives them an excuse to arrest arrest people. and harass <laughs> anybody for any reason because yeah. oh you're past curfew. Yeah, you don't have to be doing. You could be sitting there, you know, sipping on a lemonade, and it's like oh you're doing something illegal now. Yeah. I have a reason to talk to you. Yeah. Like I don't like those things. I like obviously there are circumstances like for. Um, you know, like big storms and stuff like that. I get it because it's for public safety. But in this, in some circumstance of this, where it's like you're just trying to make an excuse to arrest people. Yeah, if, like that's what it seems like. If violence breaks yeah. out at that point, you can set a curfew for a day or whatever. You know, to mm-hmm. to let it calm down uh, a very limited amount of time. But then you have to let it go and let people come back out and protest some more. That's how America works. Whether you agree with what's being protested is totally inconsequential. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. So uh, defenses to disturbing the police uh, usually like when, if somebody accuses you of disturbing the, the peace, that um, usually falls under three categories of what people say. They either say, I didn't do it at all. I did it, but I had to, as mm-hmm. in self-defense. Or three, that my my conduct didn't disturb anyone, therefore you don't have the right to arrest me or cite mm-hmm. me or whatever. And oftentimes it's protected under my First Amendment right. Right. You know. Um, but that all of those defenses are done after the fact. 
you can't run, you can't spit on the police officer, you can't punch the police officer. All these things have to be done later. The courts are there to figure this out for you. But if you screw it up and you do something additionally illegal in defense of your First Amendment rights, it be, that becomes the secondary issue. Mm-hmm. And the first issue is whatever illegal thing you did. It sucks. You shouldn't have to listen to an officer who is breaking your First Amendment rights, but that's what that's where we're at in our society. Right. You know, and we're talking about the disturbing the peace, these public safety crimes, and these aren't even involving illegal drugs yet. Right. Like, if you have drugs on you, it immediately makes everything worse. Yep. So under the arrestable offenses for illegal drugs, um, first thing is uh, possession um, of a certain illicit drug that can violate both the federal and the state laws. Um, drug possession laws, they vary really widely from state to t- state, especially right now how, like, you know, there's, what, 15 states that have legalized marijuana. Um, but they really vary. Um, and and they also vary in the amount of enforcement that police spend time in, um, time mm-hmm. with, you know. Uh, you know like for example, probably a decade before it was legal to smoke marijuana in California, it was just known that San Francisco police officers didn't care about marijuana. Yeah. There was a place called Hippie Hill that uh, that I used to go to all the time. <laughs> um, and it was a destination. And in, and on any given day, you could arrest probably 100 people. Yeah. For well, it. there's even here in Austin and carry Hippie yeah. Hollow. Yeah. <laughs> I see a trend here. Yeah. <laughs> Hippie yeah. Hollow, is, that's where everybody, one, it's a nude beach. Everyone goes there to get naked, and nice. two, everyone goes there to smoke weed. <laughs> I mean, I haven't been there, but I know what goes on there. Yeah, even the like, there's the 360 lookout too that yeah. overlooks the uh, bridge on 360 that goes over the river. You know, people go there hike, look at the view during the day, but at night, everyone goes there to smoke weed. Everyone knows it. That's just where you go. Yeah, it's like the culture of a city can dictate the enforcement of laws, which yeah. must be really difficult if you're traveling and you come from Austin to. Dallas, guess what? They're not going to put up with your marijuana in Dallas. Right. No. Like, like it's it is tough. How are people supposed to navigate mm-hmm. the justice system? Gosh, like that's that? city to city. That's not that like like wow. That's city, crazy. That was, we're talking three hours apart, and I yeah. guarantee you, if you start smoking a blunt in Dallas, the cops are descending upon you, <laughs> as are the Karens. So <laughs> <laughs> very much so. Uh, so prosecutors basically have to prove um, that the drug in question was a controlled substance um, that the person knowingly had possession of or control over the drug. Um, and possession also includes what is referenced as constructive possession. Th- and this means that a, that the defendant had access to the illegal drug, even if it was not specifically on their person at the time of arrest. Um, for example, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, get pulled over, there's weed in your backseat. Or even, you know, you're at you're in high school and they do a random drug test of a drug, um, finding, looking for the drugs um, in your locker. Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. like, well, I three people had access to this locker. But, you know, it's not mine, but it's in your locker. So yeah. you, it's sort of like, it's hard to disprove it. It, gets, it goes against that idea of like, innocent until proven guilty you actually have to prove yourself innocent mm-hmm. in the, in those cases what about drug manufacturing 
so that occurs when an individual is involved in any step of an illicit, illicit drug production process. So these, I guess, are the like like the business people of the drug world, the mm-hmm. entrepreneurs of, of drug kingdoms, <laughs> um, those who sell certain precursor chemicals, um, specialized equipment can also fall under this. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in certain cities they ban like bongs, for example, because marijuana is illegal. Yeah. And so they have, so they have to like prove that you're selling a bong, but not for marijuana. Mm-hmm. And if you go into the store and, and you say that you're going to use it for marijuana, they legally can't sell you it, which is really weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. There, there's actually a huge real estate market in Texas for people buying up land because they're basically banking on the fact that weed will become legal in the state. Really? And there's a huge real estate market of people just buying up land so they can have future weed farms in Texas. It's really weird. One, because once it becomes legal, like, boom, they'll start here, but also because Texas has just no regulations on anything. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, fun fact. (laughs) That's interesting. I mean, you know, marijuana is going to be legal everywhere. It's going to happen. Yeah. I I know that we could do a whole episode on this, and I'll just mention it briefly and we can move on, but I just have to reiterate how irate it makes me when I think about the fact that, look, I'm from Portland. My parents live in Denver. Uh, weed is extremely recreational. Uber Eats delivers weed in, in 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 my hometown where I'm from, and yet there are countless individuals, most of them black men, serving jail time for the same thing. Yeah. Like, if that doesn't make you furious, then there, in my opinion, there's something off about your moral compass. If if your state legalizes marijuana in that instant, they should release every single person who was arrested for low level yeah. drug offenses. It, it's just it's mind for any any drug offenses or just for we'll say marijuana we'll stick with marijuana so that that, that I think that is actually what happens I mean I think that ha- that has to happen if you're if you're in no maybe it doesn't I I don't, I, I, I don't think it does well in California I know it did um, they yeah. they went through three steps one was to legalize two was to um, to release anyone who who was in there for anything nonviolent and three was to expunge it from their record. Mm. Which even mm, okay. helped them more because yeah. they, now they can right. get jobs that they couldn't get before. Um, you know, so if you're complaining about people not having jobs and you know being a criminal their whole life, well, maybe you shouldn't ruin their life with something stupid yeah. so they can't get a job, huh? Maybe, huh? Huh? Before we we move on to the next uh, drug thing, um, or <laughs> keep going thing. on to this, um, I will say I was listening to another podcast the other day and an ad came on just for. For Denver, it was it was literally just an ad for Denver, Colorado. It was weird, and so it's this guy listing all these great things of Denver. You know, we've got the Rockies and this, that, and there's a guy in the background who goes, and it's weed is legal. We we have weed, and he's you know, and and we have the rivers and this, and we have weed. That was the entire ad, and it was it was incredible. It was so funny. I was like, I want to go to Denver now. <laughs> It was, it, was a, it was a wonderful ad for the city. I knew people who moved to Denver, and it was in their top two reasons. I mean, oh, it was, sure. I, this was like when they were the, the you know the first basically mm-hmm. to legalize it. I mean, they were like, "Yeah, I'm I'm done with this like yeah. crap," you know, like being hiding this or whatever. <laughs> um, drug trafficking uh, is selling, transporting, or illegal or importing illegal drugs. Can I say that anything like drug trafficking, sex trafficking, all these <laughs> traffickings? They sound really just scary. Right. Like something about like – and maybe it's because I watch Narcos. I don't know. <laughs> it all just seems really scary. 
Well, and you know, like there are the really scary organizations that that do these things, but then there are also a lot of just mom and pop operations that mm-hmm. you know they they just grow weed and that's how they make their retirement like, money. If <laughs> if I take weed and I drive to you know New Mexico, am I a drug trafficker? Yes, by and you cross you state lines. Oh boy! <laughs> I have a lot of friends that, that go up to Denver, and they're that like, point Can comes I federal. Bring my marijuana suckers back to Texas. I'm like, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but <laughs> technically you, know, you can't mix it up in a bag full of some lollipops. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, you're lucky not to get caught, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so let's let's skip down to what procedures that a cop has to go through when they pull you over. Do you guys know like what 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 comes to mind when a cop has pulled you over? What procedures do you notice that they're doing? Um, one that I learned actually, which is just kind of like a small thing they do, and I never realized it is. Um, well, when they physically pull up behind you, you know they're kind of like at that angle, and that's so that if the person they pulled over gets out, starts firing. They can hide behind. Oh, I didn't know that. They can hide behind their engine because that's the the safest and thickest part of their vehicle. And so, because if if you park directly parallel with the previous car and you hide behind your door, you're you're going to get a bullet. But if you park at an angle and you can hide behind your entire front end of your uh, police cruiser or whatever you know vehicle you may be in, that's much safer. Um, and that's something every cop does. Well, I did not know that. How about you, Kara? Um, I mean, like I, I mentioned this a couple of times, but I'm, I, I know that like they ask for your license and registration. I've been pulled over a couple of times, <laughs> um, but and I know that they like what is the rule about them? I've I, like I said, I've always been taught to, that you can call nine one one to like ensure that the cop is a legit cop. So what do they just have? They stand at your window and what they have they. They have to wait until you verify that. Like, what's the like law? Like, what is your right as a citizen to hang on for a second? Like, I know you have a right to pull off safely, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because um, the whole thing is, you have to pull off as soon as you can in the safest safely, manner so you possible. You have that right. Right. And then I know that they're going to ask for license and registration, but you do have a right. You to do verify. have to pull over pretty quickly. Yeah. I don't think yeah. you can call nine one one and be like, "Can you verify this before I pull over?" <laughs> yeah. Um. Which would be nice if you're on a dark road, right? I mean, every murder podcast I listen to, it's like a massive thing amongst women now, especially. Um, like all the hosts of these very, very popular podcasts are like driving this point home for women of if you're by yourself, you're on a desolate road or something, you call 911 before you roll down your window. Mm-hmm. For um, Even for cops? Yeah. Just oh, wow. Because there's been a lot of, uh, not a lot, but enough to raise concern of, you know, police officers uh, posing as police officers or someone acting like one. So I think this is probably more important for someone that's in an unmarked vehicle or not like in a typical cop car. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I feel like women and, and men well, are Well, anyone can buy a, like a little, you know, siren exactly. thing or whatever, yeah. little, little yeah. flashy lights. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I learned, this is from uh, portlandoregon.gov. And this is actually a police officer telling the story yeah. of what he goes through um hypothetically a hypothetical hypothetical situation when he goes through when he is pulling someone over yeah. one of the things that i learned is that they are actually actively looking for um a safe place 
to pull you over that a lot of times yeah. the reason that they kind of hang with you for oh, a minute okay. is to dis- is to give you that time to, or you know give them the time to to find a, a place that would make sense for you to yeah. pull over and this is from the city of portland it's the police bureau so it's it's written by the police yeah um it's actually really fascinating um do you have the link pulled up kara Yes. So according to the city of Portland, which we're up in my hometown, um, if you're being pulled over, you should stay calm. Traffic stops are emotional, but safety is the goal. So arguing, yelling, swearing, just going to escalate the situation and you may be threatening to the officer. Number two, indicate that you've seen the officer by putting your turn signal on and then pull over to a safe place where you're not blocking traffic. Number three, to shut off the engine, turn off the radio. Number four, Keep your hands on the steering wheel and or out of your pockets. Number five, when asked for registration and driver's license, inform the officer where in your car you need to find it. Number six, you might explain to the officer if there are any extenuating circumstances and or take responsibility for your behavior. And number seven, remember you always have the right to discuss the incident with the judge if you disagree or believe the officer made a mistake. See, that's how the police think of it. They okay, think but- – they think- if I do something wrong, the judge will figure it out. Yeah. And like, and like, I get that, but it's also very also like emotionally we draining. We don't for study people. this in school. Like, right. I don't yeah. think I would have. I don't. I, like I said, I've been pulled over like three times. I've, I don't think I've ever I've, told an officer, "Hey, I'm leaning over now. I'm getting." <laughs> I have the heard thing. though that that it is more common in black families for parents mm-hmm. to pull their kid aside and say yeah. this is what you should do no that makes sense mm-hmm. that's what it said um in one of the books we're going to quote later um <clears throat> policing the black man they said that one of the things it says is that you know this is a discussion that happens with most black families yeah have in your experiences being pulled over have you ever turned off the engine of your car yeah i don't think i have i, think I always I, do I that do. i don't I'm scared to like accidentally run them over. I don't think I have. I think I've always left my car running. It, does that make me a dick? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> apparently, according to this, well, like you know, right. all of these things, like it's sort of like put here as like for your safety. But I actually think the 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 better way to put it would be to calm the police officer down. Yeah, you have to remember that the police officer that's pulling you over is a person. They have a family, they have, you know, they have loved ones Mm -hmm. that care about them. They are thinking about getting home that night. Yeah. So these are the things that they would like you to do to try to make them feel better. As dumb as some of these things are and as inconvenient and as, you know, sort of like against your rights as a free American to do whatever you want to do, just for the sake of making the situation easier you should try to do these things and so this um now below that they did write um basically an outline or just i mean basically the thoughts of an officer as they pull over i want to read some of it i won't read the whole thing because it's a little long it starts off um did that guy just blow a stop sign i look at the cross street as i approach yep definitely a four-way stop and the car definitely didn't stop heck i didn't even appear to slow down I'm positive I have probable cause to stop the car if I would like. I check the computer. I have no calls waiting for my attention. And amazingly, the patrol cars in the districts close to me are also free. If I make this traffic stop, other cars are available to take 911 calls in the area while I'm busy. But more importantly, if the driver is trouble and I need help quickly, it is close by. Now, real quick, let's break that down. So... The thing that stands out to me here is I have probable cause to stop the car if I would like. Mm -hmm. That means 
the police officer has to think, is this worth pulling this person over? Yeah. I think if more police officers took into account that whether whether it's a you know really dangerous crime or like if it's just something that somebody accidentally did say once you know that whether or not it's worth it might change their mind about pulling that person over it's their job but if somebody blows a stop sign once is that really that bad of a crime you know maybe mm-hmm. they can follow them for a second and if they do something else or if they see something else then they can do it to me, that's a stupid reason to pull somebody over. Well, but I mean, you got to think of it this way, too, is he pulls them over, gives them a ticket for blowing a stop sign. They never do it again. If he doesn't, they do it again. They T-bone a family of four next time. But they're still going to do it. They're just not going to do it when a police officer's around. Yeah, maybe them. so. You know, I mean, it's, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I just, I, I don't think it's worth in, uh, the encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then the other thing, though, um, that I thought was super interesting with that speech is that they make sure that other police are nearby in case something goes wrong. Right. So even if you're dealing with an officer that's by themselves, running away is the stupidest thing you can do because they're going to make sure that other police officers are there to help them. Well, that's the constant communication. Like, you don't necessarily see it, but they are on the radio with dispatch. They are on the radio with other officers. Other people know what's happening. I hate it in horror movies when there's a cop character who doesn't call something in. (laughs) Right. You know, they're going into like a haunted house or something where they hear screaming and they mm-hmm. and they're not calling in. I'm like, what are you what are you doing? Like, <laughs> that makes no sense. Yes. So to continue, um, it's a relatively quiet side street. So I have no trouble getting behind the green Nissan. We're not picking on Nissan. Very, sorry, by the way. I have a Nissan. <laughs> um, I see lots of traffic infractions that I choose not to do anything about because the maneuvers required to get behind the violator are too dangerous and not worth the risk. Looking ahead, I try to anticipate a safe place to stop. If I flip on my lights as we approach the top of the hill, the driver might stop just over the crest, leaving us easily rear-ended by other traffic approaching from behind. In this case, it is flat, but there are parked cars on both sides, leaving no room to pull over out of traffic lanes. I follow a little longer and see an empty parking lane in the block ahead. Maybe we can attempt to pull over in this space. Let's let's skip down to the... um, uh... The, about the I flipped the front facing floodlights mm, yes. on because I always thought that cops were being assholes when they flooded right. you with light. So yeah. Um, so at this point they're pulled over and yeah. So I flip on the front facing floodlights on and swivel. Ooh, sorry. I flip the front facing floodlights on, swivel spotlight and high beams on. I pull in about a car length behind the Nissan, but slightly offset to the left to provide me some protection from other cars approaching from the rear. Pushing on the brake, forward motion, stopping and throwing it into park, turning the wheel hard left and opening the door and getting out, out, out. Coffin exited. I take a breath. Oh, real quick. So yeah. you, you sk- yeah, the part we skipped over, he was saying that most c- cops consider their cars coffins when they're pulling someone over because um, because it's it's where they're at a disadvantage that they can't get to their their gun as easily because they're they're stuck in their car and if somebody you know fires at them that it's that they don't yeah. want to be there very long so they try to get out of the out of what they consider to be a very dangerous part which is their car and so that's a way of them explaining the fear of pulling somebody over because you don't know who's in that car right they can immediately step out and open fire on you right and then and I guess we don't have to read like the whole thing but like but the part with the the spotlight I did want to really highlight though because because. They use that as a way to get an advantage over you so that you can't as easily shoot back at them 
um, if they're approaching you at night. They said it doesn't mm-hmm. work as well in the day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's statistics about like you know more cops get shot in the day or something like that. Um, but uh, but at least from their perspective, shining that light on you, taking that away that that view away from you is is important. Yeah. And so this this whole thing is is just a, a traffic stop from the police officer's perspective. What goes through their head, what they communicate to dispatch, what they communicate with the person they're pulling over. It's it's the whole process. And it's it's really fascinating because I feel every account that we hear is from the person being pulled over. It's from their perspective. Right. We and never so hear the cop. To hear this perspective and to hear the humanity in the fact that exiting the coffin now. Like, that's... That's a deep feeling, yeah. you know. There's a part part here where they say, "Why why do the police have to be so gruff?" And the and the line here he says is, "The police live in a world of possibility, not probability. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, the the above description is exactly the way the uh, traffic stop goes. Meaning, like it's 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 easy, it's it's not violent. But on a very rare occasion, instead of being met with a nervous smile." Officers are greeted with a gun at the driver's window, and that you know, so that that is so scary. That's a daily, yeah, hourly thing that they have to deal with. I mean, the, if you're having an adrenaline rush, so to speak, x amount of times a day, it's almost like a roid rage. Like, imagine like the just the very physical effect of like cortisol flooding your body and having that adrenaline rush, and your stress levels are up. That like that physically does something to your body to be that anxious all day. And I do have to give. Um, credit there and perhaps that's also why you know when police are making snap judgments they've literally had like stress hormones pumping through their body all day like that this is a physiological effect that someone's experiencing um police have a high rate of of divorce and and you know having psychological stress and problems coming from that um because it is a really hard job and and you have to remember that when when you're encountering them yeah, anything about how many officers have drug and alcohol problems as well. Right. And it's a lot of its coping mechanisms. Yeah. So much of it is because it is such a high tense job, you know. Now, when you are pulled over, um, these are different things that you have rights yeah. as a citizen. This is from um, the ACLU, which I know is sort of the ire of, of conservatives, but who cares because they're the ones that, <laughs> that talked about this the best. Um, you have the right to remain silent. Um, you know about that one. Um, but for example, you don't have to answer any questions that a cop asks you about where you're going, where you're traveling from, what you're doing, where you live. Now, this could be controversial to say this because, you know, a lot of people would say if you have nothing to hide, yeah. then why can't you just be helpful like, and make it, easier for, right, yeah. make it easier for the, the cop? But I always remember a line from the movie The Judge, which with Robert Downey. I just Jr. watched that like last week. Do you remember that line? So it's about a judge that gets that gets arrested for a crime, yep. and and uh, and and Robert Downey Jr. Um, he's his son, right? Yeah, it's his yeah. son, and, he, and he's, he's, a he's def- his son. So yeah, Robert Duvall is a judge, been there for forty two years. His son, uh, Robert Downey Jr., is a hotshot lawyer. Judge is on trial for a crime. His son defends him in court. The line that that stands out is is he says he says stop answering questions, and the judge is like, well, I can you know I'll answer it. I have nothing to hide. I didn't do this crime. And he says no because every every answer you give gives them more of a reason to arrest, you know prosecute mm-hmm. you, arrest you. It, it works against you. Yeah. So it's one of those things like you want to be helpful. You don't want to be a dick, but at the same time. 
they don't need to know some of these questions. And by doing so, you are actually implicating yourself possibly in a crime that you're not even aware of. For yeah. example, you could say, uh, you know, they're saying, where are you coming from? Well, I'm coming from work. But some people, if they want to be extra helpful, they say, well, I'm coming from the northern side of Austin. And, oh, well, mm -hmm. 10 minutes ago, there was a robbery with somebody matching your description in the northern side of Austin. You just gave them probable cause mm -hmm. to mess up your day. Now, you want to be helpful, but at the same time, you you have to remember that they're not talking to you as your friend. They're talking to you just like the prosecutor will be. Yeah. Their job is to find something that you did wrong, even if, even if you're innocent, you, they don't know that. Right. So they're treating you like you could be that person. Another thing too, and we'll talk about it more, is you do not have to give consent to a search of yourself or your belongings. You do not have to because in order for them to do that without your consent, they need a warrant um, or extreme probable cause that you know there's some there, and we'll go into that further. Um, but the police, they can pat you down. Um, in case they suspect a weapon. Um, but otherwise, you do not have to give consent for a search of your body or your belongings. However, though, one thing that they did note in on this is that just because you refuse consent might not stop the officer from carrying out the search against your will. But if you make that timely objection, it will help you out later on mm -hmm. in the legal proceeding. A judge might look at that and say... They didn't consent to you, say, I don't know, looking in your purse or whatever, looking in your glove department, um, compartment, excuse me. Um, <laughs> I have a friend of mine used to make fun of me for saying that. <laughs> so like, is that in the, is that in the glove department? <laughs> Should I shop there in the glove department? Excuse me. Um, glove compartment. Um, so, you know, you can say, I didn't give consent. This is not an, not an legal, not a legal search. Um, and therefore, they can get thrown out. Mm -hmm. Cops hate that because they found something that is illegal and they wanted to get you for it. But at the same time, they need to follow the rules. And yeah. if somebody says they don't give consent, they need to have that actual probable cause, which leads to an actual warrant to arrest you um, or to search for something to arrest you. And that is not just – how do I put it? Like – inconsequential sort of, you know, legal mm -hmm. stuff, that is your rights. Yep. And you should at least proclaim it, even if they're going to break it. And we'll we'll get into this later too, but there are instances where, you know, people, they will consent like, yes, there's nothing in my car. Like, go ahead. And the police plant, you know, an eight ball of cocaine. And guess what? Oh, look what we found in the back seat here. Right. And there, there are, we'll, we'll discuss it later. There are real instances of that happening. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's not a conspiracy or something. You know, there there are a lot of cases that get turned over uh, years later because a cop was found to have done this multiple times. Mm -hmm. um, and and they have to throw them all out after that because they don't know the, the cop, you know, they don't know what which ones the cops planted, which ones are really there. Yeah. Um, the next one is if you're arrested by police, you have the right to a government appointed lawyer if you can't afford one. Yeah. Um, might not be a great lawyer. <laughs> Depends. But you get representation regardless. Yeah. Um, and then uh, this is an interesting one for nowadays. You don't have to answer questions about where you were born, whether you are a U.S. citizen, or how you entered the country. But certain rules apply near international borders. I don't. Mm -hmm. I think it's within a hundred miles. Something like that. Yeah, I'm not sure what the distance is. But. I, I think I read 100 miles um, within any international border. 
you do actually have to prove you're a citizen yeah sometimes on a daily basis and that's usually due to the color of your skin i yeah i mean i remember um actually shelby and i are going there this weekend up to devil's river and it's by this town del rio which is basically right on the border of texas and mexico and um, if you go on highway 10 you go through a border checkpoint and every time we go through it's just like oh hey where are you going we're like oh we're going back to austin all right have a good day that's it you know and yeah. i i just i know there are other people other americans or other people who are not from here but here legally who have a significantly harder time getting through that checkpoint than i do strictly because of my skin color yeah i, I in my opinion that shouldn't be something that's protected in the law that I, I don't think that police should have the ability to ask you things like that. Um, hmm. it, 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 it leads people to lie. Yeah. And also mind your business. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you're not doing anything wrong. Right. You know, by driving. Right. So like what, what, pro, what cause do you have to ask me what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. So why don't we, why don't we get into warrants? How, how does a police officer get a warrant to search you or your property? Uh, so police officers obtain search warrants by convincing uh, a magistrate, which is supposed to be a neutral, neutral, detached person. I guess I think that's just another word for it, a judge, it's right? Tip, it's a judge. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, they convince them that they have probable cause uh, to believe that criminal activity is occurring. Um, and they have a very specific thing that, that is to be searched. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, – Specific place – yeah, I mean, um, it, item, yeah. person, thing they're specifically looking for. Right, they're um, supposed to do that. Yeah. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah, and they <laughs> have to they have to write all this out in a written statement under oath. It's called an affidavit, um, and they present that to the judge. Um, and only that property yeah. can be searched legally. Um, they can't search in a house if the warrant specifies a backyard, for example, nor can they search for weapons if the warrant specifies uh, marijuana plants or something like that they're looking for. Again, however, one thing that we talked about in the last episode are dozens of cases, probably more than that, probably hundreds, that they did it anyway, mm -hmm. illegally, found whatever it was. And even though it was illegal and totally wrong for them to have, have arrested them for that, it, the, it, the person still got in trouble, yeah. still got jail time, and it was defended by the Supreme Court that basically said, yeah. you can, if well, you accidentally find something you weren't looking for, yeah. there's your bonus. Another thing, how many times have we seen that in movies of where the, you know, the cop can't get the, the warrant that they need, but they just take it that, you know, extra step and they find it and they bust the criminal, you know? Or, or like there's, I mean, it's kind of a joke now where, where they're, they're outside and they're like, I hear screaming. Do you hear screaming? Yes, right. I do. I do hear screaming. I think we can enter this house now. Mm -hmm. Like <laughs> that's all you really need that's now, creating right? that probable cause. And, and in terms <laughs> of searching people, so you can only search that specific person and, you know, you see officers maybe try and search somebody else and off of reasonable, reasonable suspicion, they, they can't search somebody, but they can detain them and question them. Anything beyond that they cannot do. I have a friend that is a writer and he won't write any good cop character because he's that much really? anti-cop. Um, if there, if, Man. if, if, uh, if he has to write a character like that, he'll make him a security guard. Um, you know, something like, like a Paul that. Blart type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, 
he's that against cops. Um, and I think the reason, though, is because of some of these things like, you know, in in our in media, in movies and stuff, we joke about it, it's always a joke that police are, you know, but, you know, chain, not going with the rules, going their own route. Uh, saying something like what I was just saying a second ago, where they you know just decide to 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 bust in even though they're not supposed to, and that's like mm-hmm. the tough you know the Beverly Hills Cop and all that stuff. Like that's like the the whole thing is that's how that's why they're cool. And but in reality, when cops really do these illegal things in order to do something they feel is for the better good, I think it really tears down the perception of cops. And I think that's what mm-hmm. my friend is trying to do by not writing any any positive forces of cops in 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 his scripts because up to now that is that is like the stereotypical cop figure that we all see and we've just sort of accepted and and he wants to change that um so okay the two things actually so uh if you believe your rights were violated um this is what they say to do Write down everything you remember, including officers' badges, patrol car numbers. Be a little bit of a Karen. You know, basically you're getting all their their names and, and their mm-hmm. bosses' names, right? Um, it seems silly at the time, but it actually can help. Um, get contact information for any witnesses that may have seen what happened that can be- corroborate what, what, what you're saying. Um, happened. If you're injured, seek medical attention immediately. Take photographs of your injuries. I can't tell you how many people that I know that skip this step and then can't prove that they were injured. Um, right. Uh, Can, fi- do officers legally? I imagine so. Do they legally have to provide you their like name, badge number, and everything? Uh, yes, I would think they, so. I, I don't think that they have to in the moment, but, but if you request yeah, it, you can say yeah. what officer arrested me Surely or something like to. that. And it's probably on your ticket or anything like that. Too, I, right? Well, and yeah, I, everything's on your ticket. But like, I if think, you're like, I want your name and badge number, do they have to write see, it out or give you a card? I think I think back to that that scene in that movie and what actually what really happened, where you know they take their badge off right when they're about right. to encounter protesters. That's to prevent people from knowing who who did what. Yeah. Uh, so. So I imagine there there is that level of transparency of where you have to give that, but obviously. But they get around it sometimes. They get around it I sometimes. Think. Yeah. Um, with all that information, uh, make a written complaint with the agency's internal affairs division. There's sometimes there's a civilian complaint board. That's where you're supposed to get your justice, not mm-hmm. by running away. Don't do that. It only makes it worse. Um, even if you're right in the moment you're wrong and you have to, you just have to let it, let right. it go. Um, and the other thing I really wanted to mention, this has a, been a bigger thing, um, lately with, with cell phone footage and stuff like that. Um, if you think you're witnessing police abuse or brutality against somebody else, you you have to stand at a safe distance and if possible, use your phone to record video. I honestly think that cops are not getting worse I think that they always have been about where they are now. We're just seeing it. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think it's a conspiracy to say that, you know, of say 1% of cops are crooked or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, 1% of cops are, you know, are, are innately going to do something really awful. Yeah. Um, th- we're seeing that. And, and it's, we, I don't think most people think that every cop is bad, but 
some t- when they are bad, it is our responsibility to prove it, and that's how that's how you do it. Um, you can't interfere with what the officer's doing. You can't stand clo- uh, t- too close, which obstructs their movements, or you could be arrested as well. Um, you have the right to observe and record events that are plainly visible in public spaces. Don't try to hide the fact that you're recording. Police officers do not have a reasonable expectation of privacy when performing their jobs, but the people they are interacting with may have privacy rights that would require you to notify them of recording. Like they actually can throw out your recording if you didn't notify them that you're recording. Right. Um, in many in many states, you must affirmatively make people aware that you're recording them. Police may not confiscate or demand to view your photographs or video without a warrant. Now, I didn't know that before before I was reading this. Hmm. Um, and they may not delete your photographs or video under any circumstances. Yeah. This is something it didn't say, but you know, if if you really want to get smart with it. You know, upload that to the cloud immediately. Oh, yeah. You know, you don't, you shouldn't keep something on your phone that is valuable information that needs to get out to people, mm-hmm. just in case. If some, if somebody was corrupt enough to do something illegal, they're going to be corrupt enough to break your phone or something. Yeah. Um, but uh, be aware that some officers may arrest you for refusing to comply with not giving them the, your phone. Um, so you have to be willing to get arrested for this situation if you feel like it is bad enough. But you have to weigh that with whether or not it's worth it to you. Mm-hmm. And that that is sort of like the Good Samaritan thing almost. You know, it's yeah. like you see you see a car broken down the road. You know, do you help them? Is some is are there other circumstances? Is somebody having a heart attack where if you pulled over and helped them to a hospital with that? save their life. You know, you have to make those split second decisions yeah. and there's no right or wrong way to do it, but it can make a big difference. Right. Or um, do you act like Seinfeld and you film and laugh at them as they get mugged? <laughs> um, oh my, I yeah. see. I don't, oh my gosh, is this a, is this on Seinfeld or is this something that the real actor did? I don't, you I, don't remember the, it's the last episode of Seinfeld. Oh, he gets arrested for it or because something, the, right? They all get arrested oh because they're just pointing and because la- it's right when the the Good they Samaritan. Like, I'm ten years older than you. <laughs> I'm supposed to be still stuck on Seinfeld. Because yeah, it's, it's the last episode. It's when the, the Good Samaritan law became a thing, right? And they all get arrested because they're just laughing and pointing at this guy and filming this guy getting mugged. And then it's the court. You know, they're on trial, and it's just everybody coming on the witness stand just talking about how terrible of people they are. <laughs> Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do any. Can anybody do that? I don't think I can. I've never seen an episode of Seinfeld. Don't yell at me. Don't yell at me. You've never seen one? No, I'm too busy watching trash reality shows. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> All right. I'm very busy. So now that we have a good understanding of what your rights are, you know, what a police officer's process is in being pulled over, what you can be arrested for, what a police officer may pull you over for. Let's dive into how people become police officers. Oh, and I do have to say one more thing, though. Yeah. So this goes for the whole episode. This is sort of a disclaimer. Even though we're giving you sort of tips, I mean, it's literally how to do things. We're not yes. legal scholars. We don't, you know, you can't follow our advice without talking to a lawyer, without taking your own responsibility for, you know, anything that we say, uh, you know, we're not literally telling you to be a criminal or how to be a criminal or anything like that. We actually don't want you to be a criminal. 
we want you to consult your lawyer, read up your own rights, things like that, to be sure you don't get into trouble. Legally, we probably have to say this is for entertainment purposes only. Exactly. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, but so let's start off with how to become a police officer by looking at the different types of police officers or different types of law enforcement. I want to start actually by asking the, each of you, if you were to go into law enforcement, what type of police officer would you like to be? What department? What what would you like to go into? Probably park ranger. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. That's like the only type of police officer that like, you know, yep. you're more likely to like encounter a bear than like a, like a criminal if you're in the middle of nowhere. Also, I just like the aesthetic of With park rangers as well. You know, yeah. So I, I'm happy we're all like on the same. Or I guess I would also totally do. I'm like really into true crime. So any type like of, a homicide detective, like a homicide detective. I think oh, I could totally would, see you as a homicide. It detective. would be. Thank you, <laughs> Curtis. Isn't it? Like, wasn't your uncle like a a crime scene photographer or something? Yeah, and I've talked about it with him a little bit, but so I'm not. I can't say exactly what he was because I've never specifically asked. But yeah, but he he. I know he photographed and and sort of help them categorize like certain right. crime scene stuff. Um, I know you don't, I don't think in some cases you don't have to be a police officer to do that. I think sometimes they hire firms or something, yeah, yeah. but in his case he was, I mean, maybe this was before they hired firms out to do yeah. it. I'm not sure. I know it's similar like for like crime scene cleanup. Right. They, you know, they contract it out. Right. Um, but he wasn't, but he was a real cop and yeah, he did deal so with, cool. with crime scenes and I things mean, like awful, that. I mean, awful, but, and there, there is, um, like I said, I'm really interested in true crime podcast, big fan of, you know, my favorite murder and crime mm-hmm. junkie. And there's actually a lot of um, controversy surrounding these podcasts, particularly as of late, because in, in these episodes, they, the the verbiage that's used by people critiquing it is that they paint the police officers, all of them, as massive heroes. And I, I do have a problem with that yeah. because they, they are in a lot of these times. Like, they're helping bring these families peace. They're helping bring these families rest. Um, and I, I do think it is important, especially as we get into, like, what a police officer is, how to become one, that we can acknowledge that there are some really fantastic people in pro- mm-hmm. what is maybe a broken system. But I don't think it's wrong for us to celebrate the police that – you yeah. know, bring justice for these people. And I well, think it's true. silly it's to... Not, I, I agree. I'm sorry. No, yeah. I just... It's it's a... I've read article after article after article about it, talking about how it's problematic I, to paint these police that as word. heroes. If you, yeah. want, if you want a good true crime podcast, and it's it's not everybody's favorite flavor, but um, last podcast on the left is one of the largest true crime and just general podcasts in the world right now. Um, but they do a very good job and they do... I, they're... Narrative format is my absolute favorite format that they do. Marcus Parks is wonderful. But they do a very good job at pointing out in specific cases that they dive into how the cops either did wonderful in their investigation or they did absolutely horrible. They're very good at pointing out when the cops do well or when the cops do poorly. The thing I found, too, talking to police is they are are often their own biggest critic. You know, they'll be the first to say – Man, he screwed that up, or man, he was you know he was a he was yeah. a, a you know criminal thug, and he shouldn't have been a police officer, yeah. you know, because they know it shines badly on them on their department. Um, you know, it puts them in danger. We you know when somebody is doing an illegal act in front of you as an as an uh, another officer, mm-hmm. that puts your life in danger. That's one of those things where you you know you. You, after after it happens, you pull him over and you probably punch him in the face. You're like, never do that <laughs> yeah. again. Yeah, you know because 
that was the scariest moment of my life and it didn't even have to be. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. this was a nothing thing that you turn into something else. They don't want it to escalate. Like, oh, absolutely. There are plenty of good cops out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk about them. Okay. So, <laughs> so the first type of cop, and this is, I mean, the general, just all around police officer. It's, it's the patrol officer. Um, chances are this is going to be like their first assignment. This is when they get into the police force. They're on their probationary year. They're going to be a patrol officer. Um, yeah, I mean, these are the people that you see in certain designated areas. They have their areas in the city that they just roll around in their car, either on foot, bike. Um, also motorcycle, some places horseback, um, and they wouldn't get in trouble for, you know, riding the horse drunk. Off <laughs> um, um, if that's true. If that's true. <laughs> that's something I don't want to look up because I don't want to disprove it. I know, it. right. <laughs> um, I just want that to be true so badly. <laughs> yeah. So it's the These are the folks where if you call 911 and you need a police officer, they're going to send a patrol officer, Right. Um, oftentimes these are the people you see in the TV shows where they have the partner that they ride around in their car and they, you know, just drive around basically looking for stuff to, you know, enforce the law on. Um, yeah. I mean, They're the grunts, basically. Yeah, uh, that It's what you see, you know, probably 90% of the time as if, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're as far as just, you know, roaming around or whatever. Yeah. They traffic control, crowd control, responding to 911, working, you know, athletic events, you know. Football games, anything. They're the ones at the concerts. They're the one at the games. Um, yeah, those Hendo are... domestic disturbances. Yeah, those are traffic just stops like sometimes. the generic police officers. Um, and then we get into investigations, um, detectives and whatnot. And White collar crimes, basically. Um, I, I remember, one, I think it was an interview with the, the one of the creators of Cops. And, and he said, there's a reason that, that, you know, on Cops you don't see them arrest like the CEO of some like crooked company so right. because because they're they're wearing you know a nice uh, iron shirt they don't come out shirtless and screaming at the police they just get quietly taken away with their head drooped and that's not good entertainment yeah <laughs> so so these are those to me these are the kind of these white collar crimes are the ones that actually cause a lot of damage mm -hmm. um, even though they might not necessarily like a be grander scale yeah they might not yeah. necessarily be like in the moment disturbing the peace but they actually cause so much societal damage to whole neighborhoods and yeah. whole cities the whole country sometimes and so the way you have you have investigations and then you have auto theft narcotics robbery burglary sexual assault child abuse are those under investigations uh yes so um so if 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 you live in a city that's big enough they will break these things up into different departments um and but if but if you're in a smaller town one it might just be all under one umbrella. It just depends on kind of how many crimes. If there's enough crimes for a you know a single person or a whole group of people to uh, to investigate. Mm -hmm. And then we get into another form of law enforcement, which is ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I never knew what that meant before uh, before in investigating this. And I, I guess it, it's important to point out too that ICE and Border Patrol are separate entities. Right. And so ICE's mission is to protect America from the cross-border crime and illegal immigration that threaten national security and public safety. Um, ICE focuses on legal and safe immigration enforcement, terrorism prevention, and combating transnational criminal threats. Yeah, border controls, like, they don't have, like, a, a jurisdiction to enforce that, right? It's just like, oh, hey, get, get that guy. Well, I think border control is specific, border patrol is specifically at the borders. ICE is just 
dealing with immigration and customs they, enforcement okay, everywhere. Yeah, I think doesn't border right? control chase people if if they you know let's say they jump the border and they see them or something. Oh yeah, like it, it's they, a full yeah. fledged law it's enforcement not just body, at the border, it's but within it's, a certain mile or whatever it is. But okay. their their jurisdiction is specifically you know like at you know border enforcement. Right, they're not going to like go into the middle of America and catch someone. Who's no, that is ICE. that is where ICE. Sure. Would go. Okay. Yeah. Or the FBI, if it's or the FBI, you know, some uh, some other enforcement, but yeah. From the ICE website, they said on an average day. Real quick, I got to point this out. So I I included this just to sort of be fair, but I have to say that the ICE website, if you've never been on it, (laughs) it is worth a look because it is like, how do I say this? It's like a PowerPoint that your like dad like created about how cool his job is. That's so specific. Like I'm not trying to, I mean, I'm sure they do important things and this, this is literally what they list and they list it in a way that's like very quick to, 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 to read. Like I copied right. this, this whole, this whole little paragraph. It was, this was on a whole web page. It was like one, one thing at a time with <laughs> oh, like a, no. with like a literal superhero character that they, that they actually, mm-hmm. there's a video of a superhero character that, that they have on there comparing themselves to literal superheroes. Um, that is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Ice. But this is what they say um, on, and, and this, but I should also say that this is refuted by several other entities um, I've, I've read in the past, but this is what they say. Uh, on an average day, ICE uh, stops or collects uh, 4,000 pounds of narcotics. Um, they make 87 criminal arrests. They 4.93 million uh, in illicit currency and assets are seized. Six victims identified. 284 administrative arrests. Which, 335 de- detainers issued. What were you gonna say? Um, six victims identified is what does that mean? Like I don't the, know. That's very vague. <laughs> um, and what's a detainer? De, de, no, it's like, I think it's supposed to be like detainee. Uh, oh, okay. So, or <laughs> I don't know something like that. I'm not sure. No, this is copied from it. So it is a it's a detainer issue. I actually don't know what that is. Um, maybe it's to maybe it's to tell them that they have to go back. I don't know. Oh, okay. I got you. Um, uh, a detainer, an ICE detainer, is a written request that a local jail or other law enforcement agency detain an individual for an additional 48 hours uh, after their release date in order to provide ICE agents extra time to decide whether to take the individual into federal custody for removal purposes. So it's basically just asking the local jail that has the individual to hold them for a longer time so ICE can decide what to do with them. Uh, 509 removals conducted, 12 gang members removed. Also Three, very vague. Very yeah. vague and very weirdly that was That was one of the things that was refuted um, by another story that I found. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not here, but um, but it, basically they were saying that like that like the vast majority of people that, that they arrest are completely like – bystanders they're like yeah. they're they're not dangerous they there's nothing there's nothing wrong with them except the fact that they're here illegally yeah um and that they really try to push how many gang members that they that they arrest but for the amount of money that we're spending you know 12 gang members is is really like not that big of a deal mm-hmm. um you know even just because you're a gang member doesn't necessarily mean that you're like a threat to the community uh you might have just joined the gang for protection or something like that yeah uh, and then 3.26 million immigration cases managed i think that's eventually <laughs> um <laughs> 
but yeah, daily. That's, that's based on 2020 totals, which, by the way, is way up um, since uh, Trump had the the basically locked down the uh, the borders. Yeah. Um, so so crime went up. Uh, amount of people uh, being in this system went way up. Uh, it's it hasn't all been. Yeah. In, Daisies. Which, which, like, by the way, in my opinion, if there are people who come to this country and incite violence against citizens or they're bringing drugs or they're going into communities and picking on vulnerable children, we don't need them here. Like, there is a yeah. pur- there is absolutely a purpose to to what they do. I think the problem is we – the argument is that we've often seen that there are people who are not a threat to the community and who are low-level people on the totem pole – and that's when when a lot of people have a problem with ICE. It's not to say that everything they do is bad and that there should just be no deportations. I don't think that's what anyone's saying. I think it's saying there is overreach and there is probably some very questionable judgment going on. Yeah. And, and to get this, they have to interrogate thousands of right. people yeah. just for being near the border and Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> or you know Guatemala or South America, yeah, or whatever yeah, maybe exactly. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry for just saying Mexican, but I just yeah just yeah anyone that looks non-american in their eyes mm. you know like like it's not worth it it's like if you went door to door in america and was like give us your drugs do you have guns like like that would be like oh my god we can't do that like no matter how many crimes it stopped it would be yeah. over the top yeah and i feel like that is sort of what's happening with this like sure they they have they have some impressive numbers here but is the money and is the you know amount of disruption to these people's lives and our lives worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, is the removing a dad who's been here 30 years and has his children here and who works and pays taxes worth it? Does the average citizen care? You know, I have, I have a question if you, if you know, I don't know. I have never looked this up, but I have heard two different things. One I heard, one thing I heard was a lot of illegal immigrants do pay taxes. The other thing I've heard is how can they pay taxes if the government doesn't know where they're at? How does that work? Are are they are they here illegally? Like how if you're here illegally, how do you pay taxes? Like I know it's a thing somehow, but I don't get it. A lot of times it's like a conditional green card as well, or like a conditional whatever. So you're waiting for your immigration appointment to be approved, or your your employer is deducting taxes off of their payroll because you're a contracted employee. Like mm-hmm. you don't need a social security number. Would they always. technically be here illegally though? Like I I feel like maybe like yeah I get what you're saying. The language is mixed up because yeah. I hear all the time. Illegal immigrants are, you know, are a huge benefit to our to our tax system. But if they're here legally enough to pay taxes, then why are they illegal? Um, a quick look just says that the IRS estimates that about 6 million unauthorized immigrants file individual income tax returns every year. Research reviewed by the nonpartisan congressional budget indicates that between 50 and 70 percent, 75 percent of unauthorized immigrants pay federal, state, and local taxes. How I'm not sure, but that's what yeah. the IRS is estimating. We got to cover that in a later episode. Yeah, we, we will Sorry. cover we will cover immigration <laughs> later. Um, so moving yeah. on to other forms of law enforcement, we have traffic, um, which you know, aside from your regular patrol officers, you go on to highway patrol, which is you know their own thing. Um, since it's stranded motorists, they're patrolling the highways, making sure your roads are safe. Um, given tickets. That's... Given tickets. <laughs> given tickets. Um, that's have, how we usually see them. You have airport police, um, which yeah. Imagine the sh- you would see <laughs> as an airport police. Uh, Maybe I, literally. <laughs> there is nothing I would hate more than to be the police officer who has to take a Karen off of an airplane before it takes off. A Karen or drunk frat boys oh, on their way God. back from Vegas. That would be the like, worst awful. day. 
Um, so yeah, airport police. I mean, they're drunk, disorderly people, theft, assault, illegal parking cars, medical crisis. They're you know doing. What's, what's interesting about about them though is is because they work at airports, they have to sometimes figure out if a crime has happened and if somebody is guilty of something before they have to get on their plane. Right. Because they have to decide if it's bad enough or approvable enough to stop them. Because yeah. in some cases, they're leaving the country. Yeah. And also, <laughs> I mean, they're working directly with the TSA on terrorist prevention. Yeah. Well, they're also working, like, with flight attendants pilots. Like, the yeah. second you obstruct a flight attendant or pilot's right to do their job, police can then come in and don't, arrest you. Don't pilots – can't pilots arrest people? My my parents both work in the aviation industry, so I, from what I understand – um, no, they just, you can like a citizen's arrest. Maybe that's like a movie you, thing. You can do it obviously like as any other citizen could if somebody was disrupting a plane. Yeah. But otherwise they just call. That's but they're the, the ones with the little handcuff things. Yeah. Well, well there's the air marshal. Is, is, an air marshal's real, isn't it? It is real, but <laughs> the, the office or the flight attendants and, um, pilot don't usually know who the air marshal is. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah it's a whole secretive thing. Yeah. Are, they, are they on every plane no, or just, just randomly? It's randomly. Interesting. Oh, another really That'd quick fun fact. That'd be such an interesting job. It yeah. would. A quick fun fact. When you get on an airplane, um, when the flight attendants are saying hi to you, they're looking you up and down to figure out which who looks strong enough to call on an emergency. So next time if you get a double oh. glance, you're not being flirted with, fellas. They're just trying to figure out if <laughs> They're like, strong. oh, this dude's head is bumping the ceiling of the plane. Like, <laughs> Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Quick little bump back. That's crazy. That's really wow. interesting. Um, okay, so yeah, like we all said, park ranger, conservation. It's the job to be your, you know, patrolling parks, areas, you know, enforcing the law. Um, oftentimes you're dealing with animal rescue. You're, or dead bodies. You know, dead bodies. You're dealing with, you know, just crime. Or that finding in the lost people. You know, yeah. yeah. A lot of times search and rescue, volunteer stuff, working with uh, uh, people who get lost in the woods. Um, a lot of times just helping out with conservation and trail development, you know, management of the parks, stuff like that. Um, also, a big one is enforcement of hunting and fishing regulations. You know, one thing that's, thing that's not on this list, I wanted to ask you guys about since you're in Texas. Um, what's a Texas... Is, is there a difference between a ranger, like Walker, Texas ranger? <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, what's a ranger? Because I actually did not so the, look that up. The rangers were actually one of the first... I think we talked about it in the first episode, maybe. Did we? Um, and when we were talking about the history, uh, we might have touched on it, but they were one of the first... Um, uh, like law enforcement's like agencies that were put in place, and it was mostly they were basically created um at the time to push um Native Mexicans and Native Americans basically just out of Texas. That was like the whole thing. What do they do now, though? Now I think the the Rangers are still a thing, but basically they're just a specialized police force. Um, I mean, what's their specialty? I'm not, I'm not trying to like drill. They, it. I, I just I just they like allegedly patrol protected areas like okay. wildlife and stuff. So okay, so they're so they're a park ranger. Yeah, they're they're I think they're more symbolic managing and protecting any part of a public land. But his, So Walker was a park ranger? Well, historically, <laughs> I never watched that historically, show. Historically, but... <laughs> the Texas Rangers were they were they were the group of law enforcement officers that were put out to go after dangerous people. Like a famous one, they were the ones who hunted down Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, okay. Wait. So they were they were sent out on the dangerous missions to get the bad guys that regular law enforcement could not get. There's a, a really good movie called The Highwaymen with Woody Harrelson and uh, Kevin Costner. And yeah, so that's – and that was really – the during that area was like the tail end. The rangers were really 
no longer in use. Like that was like the last thing the Rangers really did as you know the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Um, now so now it's, it's more symbolic. Now I think it's more symbolic. Okay, but also apparently not every state has them. Yeah, it's it's pretty. It's like Texas, Arizona, it's California, Texas Colorado, New Mexico, New York, Texas. Yeah, and then there's like a national park service. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay. And so yeah, that was the whole point of the Texas Rangers, and now yeah, it's more. Um, but yeah, another one, corrections, um, you know, those are the people, the guards that run prisons and jails, which to me sounds like the worst. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that they were real police. I actually thought they were like yeah. heightened security guard. Like no, because I mean, there's a lot of times, um, in certain, um, I guess places where it's just police officers that were like, you can either be assigned as a patrol officer or whatever, or you can be assigned to corrections. You know, um, a lot of times, you know, depending on the size, I think, or just you know, the jurisdiction, whatever it may be, corrections is its own thing separate from the police department. But there are a lot of instances where it's all run through the same department. It's all the same people. The next one's interesting. Um, deputy, deputy sheriff. sheriff and, and the sheriff is an elected official, which is weird. But I, I guess it seems like sheriff's also are kind of more like it seems like a sheriff is more of a political position than it is a law enforcement position am i it, wrong it's like a weird mix of both um so some some states actually um still uh, assign certain sheriffs I, I don't think it's elected in every state i think in most mm. states it is um but yeah it's it's kind of it's almost like i think it's like the figurehead yeah so kind of but but there are also, you know, this is deputy sheriff, but there's also just sheriffs, sheriffs, uh, <laughs> yes. not the deputy. Like, and I, they're they're not elected, right? So I'm I actually don't know the difference between that either. I should have. I'm sorry. I should have looked more of the, more of no. this up. Well, at least in but, my understanding, like the sheriff is always elected, and then the sheriff has their deputies. Like, oh, like my father in law is a sheriff's deputy. Do they just deputize? Or do like like do they find police officers that are really good and they deputize them or something and they lift them up to another level? I well I think it's run similarly as like I'm pretty sure it's the same as a police officer. You just you be you become a sheriff's deputy. Like you go through the same process as just a police officer, but like you're a sheriff's deputy. Like you're I I think I, okay <laughs> maybe we should have done more research on this. <laughs> Sorry everybody. Well, so what we have here uh, it says. Unlike most officials in law enforcement in the United States, sheriffs are usually elected, although some states have laws requiring certain law enforcement qualifications of the candidates. So like in some states, uh, you have to be a cop first and then you can become – you can run for sheriff or something like that. the responsibilities of sheriffs and their agencies vary considerably by county. Many sheriffs have the role of police chief, though some lead agencies with limited law enforcement duties. Mm-hmm. Uh, sheriffs also uh, often are responsible for managing county jails and se- and security at local government buildings. Um, they're sworn peace officers with the power to make arrests and serve before a magistrate or a judge, serve warrants for arre- for arrest or order or order for arrest and give it and give ticket and citations. Um, so some states also extend the the to a, their authority to adjacent counties, counties or to the entire state. So sometimes their jurisdiction is just in their area. Some some states make it much easier and just and just mm-hmm. you know widen it. So it sounds kind of like you said, like they're the figurehead of the law enforcement within whatever their jurisdiction is. That's what it seems like. Yeah, like, I, I don't totally understand the difference between a deputy. And just a police officer, but I, I have a feeling that they're just not that different. Right. Yeah. I, I I think it's kind of 
along the same lines. It's just one's under the sheriff's department and the other is just under the police department. Um, and then this is interesting. The alternative supported by the police and defund the police movements. And this is one that's fascinating to me, which is CRT community response teams, which I think is an incredible idea. Well, and so th- this is this is the part in the show where where if you're totally against the idea of defunding the police, you know, we have to be like, calm down, actually listen to what defund the police yeah. is trying to do. Right? And I know you and I have talked about this before where I, I hate the phrase defund the police Me because – it does exactly that. You're going to take away everything. No, no. It's going to be chaos. It's going right. to be anarchy. The, it's going to be the mobs. The correct term is reform the police. That or you know something along those lines. Defund the police just means take away the police. Take away everything. And that's just not accurate. That's not what's meant. Um, unfortunately, we've seen that hijacked early on because people knew you know, people against the movement were going to react in that way. Um, well, it's also what caught on first, you know, it was, yes. kind of, it was like, so, so people who, who were for the idea of defunding police, you know, liked the fact that it caught on and it, and it was, and it was a, you know, it was kind of a sensation that everyone was talking about. Unfortunately, a lot of conservatives used it as a way to scare people yeah. because just the term defund the police sounds scary. And it sounds like you are against policing in general, which is not the case for most people. Yeah. And so this is from the uh, Douglas County um, Mental Health Initiative, and it says uh, the community response teams pair a member of law enforcement with a mental health clinician to respond in the community, overlapping shifts of 40 hours a week, and streamline access to mental health and substance abuse services for individuals in Douglas County. Um, Is this Douglas County, Kansas? Uh, co.us i think this might have been or is it douglas county colorado it might have been colorado i think actually i think it was colorado um so douglas county crt partners with uh fire ems uh for specialized field medical clearances bypassing emergency departments when seeking direct placement into psychiatric care Uh, the teams follow up on each call and offer a case management component to ensure people connect to services following a crisis. This should be a thing that all police want. It should. Yeah. Right? I mean, it, it takes, it takes the focus off of these mental health crises. It puts it into the hands of professionals who handle these specific things. And it gives police officers time to focus on real dangerous crimes. Or in, and you know, the police officer can be there at the same time, but they don't necessarily have to be the one interacting yeah. with whoever it is is having a really bad day, a really bad. Meltdown. I was like, if it, for example, uh, like a domestic violence mm-hmm. type situation, the cop can be there if it goes sour. But you can also have a mental health professional who can be there and oh well, turns out the husband has severe PTSD and he's an alcoholic and. He's, you know, drunk out of his mind. A mental health person can help him and they can get him into further care. You it know, fixes you know, the problem example. instead of just shoving it away and hoping it, it yeah. fixes itself. And like, I just I don't see why this hasn't gone widespread across the entire country. Like, it seems like an incredible system. You have to be, you know, all of these different um, police offices um, are, you know, they're, they're so separated by city or by state or whatever with all these different ideologies mm-hmm. and all these different people running it the way that they want to run it. And yet they a lot of them don't talk to one another, at least not for a while, about what is working, you know, what is worth their time to invest in. 
you know, so so it it takes movements like defund the police to I think really shoot a message to you know all these little individual satellite police offices that maybe they should try something else that they haven't mm-hmm. tried before and how successful certain things can be like this. Uh, you know, if you live in a place that's more rural, you you might not really think it's necessary to to do something like this, but it could really help. Well, and didn't we see this with the in the last episode with the officer and I think it was like Washington DC or whatever where he tried this decades ago mm-hmm. and it worked great. But it wasn't it wasn't kicking ass, right? Yeah. You know, it, it didn't it wouldn't be a, an episode on on cops or at least it'd yeah. be like, you know, the little middle segment that doesn't that doesn't really have much of an impact or whatever. You know, it would it, like it would make cops look better. Yeah. But would it would it necessarily make the average cop who's trying to be a hero in the moment feel like a hero? Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, move on a little bit to prerequisites and police academy training. What what do you need in order to get a police academy? You know, it's interesting because I actually found this page um, on the Modesto, California um, police site. Um, and it just randomly came up that way. And Modesto is the city right by series, which is where I grew up, where Tyler grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just by com- random that it came up. But uh, but this, according to them, the only automatic disqualifier um, for a position as a police officer is if you have felony convictions as an adult um, or any misdemeanor domestic violence convictions. Um, that's the automatic disqualifier. It's very hard to get past that. Yeah. Um, in in most most um, police districts. Makes sense. Um, you do have to have a high school diploma, or I believe a GED equivalent is fine. Uh, some, including Modesto police, require college credits, um, but a, I'd say a port a good portion of them is like any college credit yeah. like you can it doesn't have to do anything with the law or you know or or you know any kind of training or anything that would help you mm-hmm. like you can just take anything you know the conservative joke is like you would take basket weaving you know <laughs> and like and like it would qualify yeah um so yeah uh uh apparently so the website was it was funny because it was actually like talking to you as if you might be like a kid <laughs> oh, um, part of it at least so it was like even though you know they say that your juvenile crimes you know are sealed up and that and no one can see it afterwards we can see it so be a good student yeah. and don't you know don't do things like it's it's it was it was interesting how it was because it was it was really talking about like just because you're a kid doesn't mean you can get away with everything <laughs> some of it will will haunt you and yeah. will prevent you from getting jobs. Um, they do an employment history, just like any job, to make sure yeah. that... look at what you've done in the past. Yeah. Credit history. Yeah. Credit history was an interesting, interesting one. interesting. Yeah. Um, I remember... Actually, I remember um, somebody telling me that was a police officer that, um, that a buddy of theirs um, had some kind of debt from, like, an ex-wife... Hmm. Um, that was on their credit, and yeah. and they said we want to hire you, but you gotta fit, you gotta get this cleared up before that we can. Sucks. So is it like debt, as in like okay, if you have a bankruptcy, you can't, or is it like if you have ch- if you're behind on child support? It can or be like anything. Alimony. And the reasoning, the thing that the reason they do that is they don't want you to be in debt so that you don't 
steal money. Right. You know, yeah, you're not, right. you don't do a favor for somebody. You're not in a desperate situation. Yeah, to make right. sure you're not in a desperate situation. Exactly. There's also a test that most police districts want you to take um, and, and pass um, called the Pellet B. And that stands for Post-Entry Level Law Enforcement Test Battery. Um, it's a multiple choice, fill-in-the-blank, written examination designed to measure reading and writing ability. Um, applicants are given two and a half hours to complete it, which contains five sections, spelling. Applicants select the correct spelling of a word from a list of options. Mm-hmm. Vocabulary, um, where you figure out the correct meaning of a word from a list of options. Clarity um, is important on this, where applicants select the sentence that is most clearly written from a pair of options. Uh, reading comprehension, which is kind of self-explanatory. Um, and then this last one, close, C-L-O-Z-E, where applicants use contextual clues to, com- to complete a passage that contain- contains blanks and missing words. That's an interesting one. And th- this is like, this is great. Like this, mm-hmm. this is exactly what we're asking for. It just might not necessarily be enough of it because you actually can fail it and take it again. Um, right. I don't believe there's, there's, I think you have to wait like a, a, a period of time. I want to say it's like a month or something like that um, before you take it again. But, but you can fail it over and over again and then eventually get into it. So that part, I'm not sure if that's, that's really teaching you, you know, the lesson or if it's just teaching you how to take a test. Um, but it is great that at least there's some basic level of of, like, of communication that you have to prove that you do. I'm pretty sure I've taken a standardized test with those exact categories. <laughs> right. <laughs> like in high school. Like, I mean, it makes sense, though, because you think about how much of police work is writing down reports, filling out affidavits, doing paperwork, all the red tape you have to do. Got to make sure you know how to use the words correctly. And then there's the next thing is training. Um, The training division is actually designed to test your limits. This is a quote um, from a police officer giving advice to to future police officers. He says, our training division is designed to test your limits to install, instill those ever so faithful words of honor, duty, and respect to prepare you for the eventuality that you may one day be called upon to lay down your life for that of your citizens, your community, or your country. That's an awesome responsibility for both you as a future law enforcement officer and for the instructors who will teach you, provide the path to success, and give you the tools that will someday save your life. Um, they talk about it being a badge of honor. Um, and, and I wanted to include that because they want police officers to do good. Mm-hmm. Even though the system might be broken, it might help some officers that shouldn't be helped. The vast majority of them want them to be yeah. upstanding citizens that do a good job, protect themselves and help the community. You know, so I'm not anti-cop and I, I really, I don't like when people are anti-cop. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the first part of that pellet B is post, which in itself stands for peace officer standards and training. And that's another program that basically it's, it's an incentive and voluntary program that works to just create the standardized, I guess, practices and helps benefit the improvement of police officers. Um, and it creates, um, like, tools and research opportunities um, basically just to, yeah, I mean, improve police officers. Yeah, and then and then so if we want to just go through it real quick, um, the, a- the average, what, what's the typical cop? Uh, so the average age is 40. Yeah. 
Um, the 2019 workforce yep. uh, was 812,000 officers. And all these stats are as of 2019. Um, average salary is 70,000, which you know you could argue is a lot, um, or you could argue is way too little mm-hmm. for what they what they you know they do. They they are literally putting their life yep. on the line every day. And that's 71,000 for male and 63,000 for female. Hmm. Which it's pretty big discrepancy. That's, that's a big big are, jump. Are they less? You know, putting are they putting themselves in less danger because they're female? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. I don't I don't get why there's any difference. Yeah. Well, and we'll look. There's yeah. There um, are 692,000 male police officers and 120,000 female police officers. That's so. actually up. Yeah, <laughs> and a lot of people will say it's because one, there are more males, and two. And it's for the same reason that females make less. There are more males higher up in power within police departments. It's the same issue, just a different conversation. Right. I can't think of a bigger boys club than a police force, but okay. Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, looking at race within police force, uh, 67% white, uh, 12.4% black. Um, and it says in where we got these stats... Um, says, to be I, fair, the black U.S. population is only 13.4%. I believe I added that. I don't think that one part was from okay. that. Yeah, I, I just kind of wanted to make sure. Like, I remember somebody saying to me, I think it was a black person, say, said, you know, what percentage of, of people in the U.S. are black? And I think I guessed like 17 or 18%. He looked surprised. Mm-hmm. He was like, that's closer than most people get. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, we're like, you know, the there's a, I think it was a Chris Rock joke or something where he says, you know, like there really aren't that many black people in the country. It's just, you know, they live in all like, like kind of tight quarters. Yeah. So in some yeah. cities, like five or six cities, you know, there's, there's 80% black people or something like that, you know, but as far as the whole makeup of the country, yeah. only 13.4% are black. So it, it is, it sounds low, but it is sort of mm-hmm. representative of of the community. Um, Look at white, Hispanic, 11.7%. And then what interests me is um, looking at higher education. Um, So you see um, uh, the most common majors, protective services, business, and social services. And basically, when you look at this website, it's an incredible website with all these different stats. It has it broken down into these things where it, like the bigger the square, the more degrees there are. But basically, the higher up you go from bachelor's to master's to whatever, whatever, and the PhD, it just gets more and more specific. So you look at just a bachelor's degree or associate's degree, and it is so broad, the amount of edu- – like the different types of educa- education these people have. But as you get higher and higher up, it's pretty much all the same as in more of protective services – legal, you know, these types of things that really go into the idea of justice and law enforcement. Well, we usually think of police officers as a blue collar job, you know, but I I don't really know if there's any argument against other than maybe just harder to recruit, like making it so that, you know, you can't be a police officer until you get a bachelor's or something. I don't think that's unreasonable. You know Mm -hmm. I mean? I understand it's harder for people to get that. You might have to pay them more. I'm all for that. But you should have some perspective on on a wider culture than just yourself. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't know before this was that police officers actually recruited, just like in the army. Yep. Um, uh, quote, the fact is, given the current environment of police pr- policing profession, recruiting the next generation of police officers is more difficult than ever. So they have recruitment just like with the military because, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard to find somebody who's qualified to be a cop who mm-hmm. wants to be a cop. 
um, that is sort of the ultimate problem, and that is why sometimes uh, people think that that all cops are bad because a lot of the cops that they're getting are not necessarily the cops that you want on the streets. They're they're mm-hmm. they're the people who who want that authority but not necessarily have the um, fortitude to handle it. Yeah. So what happens when you get into police academy? Um, so this is looking back um, as of uh, between 2011 2013, looking at kind of some of the stats of actual police academy. So uh, 47% of academies were based at educational institutions. Um, I'm assuming that meaning like universities or something of that nature. Um, it doesn't always. Um, no, there, I guess what does it mean by educational institutions? So there's actually you know? just, there's companies that just specialize um, in, they're like cop, they're cop academies. They're cop, interesting. They're like, okay, kind of like cop college. So know? rather than being run through the police department itself, or it's run through or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. It's run through this academy. Yeah, it's a program. Like yeah, this, it's like a vocational gotcha. college. That kind of a thing. And so yeah, I guess it goes in uh, like who ran a lot of these trainings. So twenty percent of academies were run by municipal departments. Uh, sheriff's officers ran ten percent. State police, highway ran. Six uh, percent uh, state peace. Uh, uh, the, was it the um, post ran five percent. Ninety six percent of academies were run in a class structure. Um, you know, just like as you would imagine it. Forty eight percent of recruits are trained in military model stress training. Yes. Eighteen uh, percent were trained in non stress models that emphasize academic achievement. Thirty four percent were trained with a mix of both. Uh, the average length of a basic law enforcement training is 840 hours or about 21 weeks. To yeah. me, that's too quick. Yeah, that's yeah. not a lot of time at all. Like, if it, t- and I, it's somewhat, it's, it's this meme going around of this kid, you know, asking, like, if it takes a lawyer, you know, eight <laughs> years or whatever to, of study to practice the law, why does it take a cop 21 weeks to enforce the law? Right. And to me, that's just all too logical. It just makes, so much sense. That's un- that's unfair to the cop because you know they 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 might want to do good, yeah. But because they they are not given the education in the in the law structure, they make a mistake and they escalate a situation that doesn't have to be. So within those eight hundred forty hours, um, or roughly the average is eight hundred six hours. You know, every program is structured differently, but it's all relatively the same. So here's kind of the averages. So. 200 hours is split up for operations. That's 52 hours per, per, uh, patrol procedures, four, 42 investigations, 38 hours emergency vehicle operation, 25 hours report writing. 168 hours goes to weapons training. That's 71 hours firearms, 60 hours self-defense. 21 hours goes to use of force. Not enough. Um, mm-hmm. That's agency learning agency policies, de-escalation tactics, and crisis uh, intervention strategies. 89 hours is self-improvement. That's 49 hours of basically just health and fitness. Um, and then uh, 86 hours is legal education. That's 53 hours criminal and institutional law. 23 oh, hours traffic law. It's just when you put out the hours like that and you like put this in you contextualize it 
You're literally like, okay, in three days, you're going to learn three long days. You're going to learn use of force. <laughs> Next week, we're going to really quickly run through the legal education. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's insane. That's like two, it's like two weeks of legal education. Like, I, pro- I probably have the same amount of constitutional law and criminal education More, as a police officer. We had to take like a, a, a legal class in journalism school. Yeah. Like, I, and even just like all my like study of history and journalism law and business law, ethics, like every. I study a lot about the Constitution yeah. and stuff. And yet, and yet, you and I are not even close to being qualified to enforce that. No, absolutely. After not. semesters and semesters worth. So, um, so, so now it's time yeah. to, to get to get the music out for Breaking Bad. Because, <laughs> Here we, <laughs> Here music. we go. Because because now I want to talk about what makes a cop break bad. Yes. Um, does it just happen? Like this is some of this is going to be kind of hypothetical, but you know, I actually found some really uh, good resources. You found an excellent resource. Yeah, I'm actually very excited to talk about the uh, cases that I, the specific cases that I found because it's astonishing how movie real it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay, so we're gonna make a prototype cop right now. Okay, so let's let's make a name for for our prototype cop. What's a uh, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. Okay, not to be confused with this, the. Singer. Oh my gosh, we sh- we shouldn't use we shouldn't use Jack Johnson. We might get sued. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't. Oh goodness, I don't know. Uh, Johnson Jack. Johnson Jack. <laughs> Jumping Johnson Jack. <laughs> um, yeah. So so yeah, he uh, he he is a hopeful recruit. Okay, Johnson Jack. Um. And uh, and just let I'm gonna pretend like we're doing like a video game where we're we're gonna you know we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna dress him in the clothes and we're gonna do the whole thing we're gonna yep. make him look perfect he's clean cut high tight <laughs> you know he's yeah he's ready to be a police officer okay so he's so he has he has his first first day uh, and he discovers uh oh being a cop is tough yes. more than that 800 hours led him to believe. <laughs> You know, so you're constantly interacting with people who have a negative view of you, yep. which is why cops are like, you know, against Black Lives Matter because they feel like it just makes their job yep. harder. There are, you know, they get pulled over and they're immediately antagonized. Right. You know. And, you know, and I do understand the idea of like, if you're not a racist cop and you pull over a black person and the black person says, ah, oh, pull me over because I'm black or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that, how that could immediately antagonize you even if you weren't racist even if you didn't pull them over for any special reason that could start things off on a really bad you know bad bad Mm -hmm. uh, like it's it's very it's very easy to understand how you could quickly feel that the world is against you yeah uh, there's and then there's the fear that police feel Um, that's something that the podcast that we were listening to um Things police see yep. um, talked about a lot, you know that that police don't talk about too often. Um, that you know you're constantly uh, being threatened with violence, um, and even it, even though the actual statistics say that you are not that likely to die as a police officer, it still feels scary in the moment. That's very understandable. Well, we saw the clip not too long ago. The two police officers that were just sitting in the car and someone came up and just completely unloaded a, a full clip of a handgun on them. Mm-hmm. You know? And specifically, they were targeted because they were cops. They weren't doing anything. They didn't do anything to anybody. They were just sitting in their car. Right. And then on that on that same podcast, Things Police See, which, I, again, I highly recommend listening to, yep. um, one of my favorite quotes was that the host said was, 
Every cop can instantly tell you a story of a time they were scared about a situation that escalated, but most struggle to think of a single story where they saved the day or actually made somebody's day better, meaning a story that was just good. Yeah. They struggle with that because the bad memories stick with them more than the times that they helped. Which is a shame because, like I said, I mean, I had that story in a couple episodes ago of the, the cop helping the guy who just ran out of gas. Um, but, you know, it's also what what are people going to want to ask more of like, oh, you helped push a guy's car to the gas station or, oh, you know. Took down the criminal. Yeah. Took down the gang member. Whatever it may be. And nine times out of ten, probably not going to be a good memory. Well, and what's scary, too, is, you know, if you help someone out, if you get out of your car just to help someone, you are ask, actually risking your life. In some mm-hmm. situations, there's something called police ambushing. Um, yeah. Statistically, it's a very low phenomenon. I do have to say that. I'm not trying to over-exaggerate it, but it is a constant risk that they're going to be called out into some benign task yeah. that is actually meant for them to be attacked, just like what you're saying. Um, and and then the other thing that show covers a lot is that hot call, that first call you get that makes your blood boil, is how he describes it, um, which promises to be especially dangerous. Now, in some ways, you might have, as a cop, as Johnson Jack, as we're calling him, right? Yes. Uh, that you know, this might this might be the reason he became a cop, right? Because mm-hmm. this is the real cop. And this is the, you know, this, I think I got that from Lethal Weapon or something. I don't know. It's one of, the, one of those cop movies. Um, you know, and this is the real, you know, this is when you really prove yourself. And this is why yeah. you put all this effort and training and all this stuff. But on the other side, you also have to get home at the end of the day. Yeah. And you can't die in this car crash. Mm-hmm. So that, so, so every cop has that first call or that major call that is called a hot call that you know sounds really bad. But... One of the things the show point, points out as well is that the ones that sound really bad sometimes end up being nothing. And the one that you think is going to be nothing turns out to this, be this crazy situation where you mm-hmm. almost die. Have you seen the movie? Um, and I know we reference a lot of movies in the show. It's just easy to do. Um, and I but, never um, have any idea what you guys are talking about. I'm such a huge movie nerd, <laughs> too. Like, yeah. I babble on at work about movies, movies and everyone's like, you like movies? I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's uh, it's with Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Pena. Um, oh, End of Watch. End of Watch, yeah. yes. I think... Okay, I've actually seen that one. Obviously, <laughs> obviously End of Watch is, is very over-embellished and it's this grand thing, but... It, it it does give a good example of just the constant fear that could be around every corner for a police officer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just it's a real thing, and it, it, I think the sh- the movie does a good job at showing that fear. Yeah, and and so our archetypal cop John, uh, Johnson Jack, he uh, he 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 goes through years of this, right? And and he's just always on edge, always having people mm-hmm. spit at him and 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 call him a pig and things like that. Um, you know, for absolutely no reason in some cases, just because he's wearing that uniform, right? And oftentimes probably has other officers backing up saying, hey, you forget them, you're with us, you know, we're your brothers. Right. Like it's us and them. Right. And and there even is a tactic that when when they're training cops, that they, they want that to be a part of it, this brotherhood idea, because they know that you're less likely to quit 
if you believe you're doing something important, yeah, if you believe you're part of a Part of team. something grander than yourself, yeah. you know. So that's an aspect of it. It's not necess- It doesn't have to be a negative part, but they actively use it to keep people in. Yeah. So, so you know, he's at a point, a breaking point. He doesn't, you know, maybe he's not doing so well with money, uh, you know, and, and he's just having a hard, hard time, doesn't feel appreciated. Um, and he decides to do something illegal, maybe something not crazy illegal, but immoral. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts off small, just like it does with any criminal or most criminals, I should say. Um, and then it escalates. Yeah. And oftentimes it's, oh, well, he saw another officer do it and, you know, he's not a corrupt cop. He's not going to do that, but everyone gets pushed. And this and this often starts off by even just the way that officers are recruited, um, the way that they're trained and the way that they believe they can get promoted easier. So one of the recruitment websites I was reading was talking about how um, or, or I'm sorry, is this from is this from your link? Uh, which one? I think it is. I don't I don't see the link here, but I think it is all from the is it uh, UNODOC? Yes. ODC. Um, yeah, so this talks about different factors that that exact you know make a cop bad, um, and so so improper training and recruitment is part of that. Uh, you know, so if they fail to do um, an adequate background check, um, fail to do psychological tests at the beginning and regularly, mm-hmm. insisting that cops go to a psychiatrist whether or not they really want to, because a lot of cops don't want to because they're tough guys, right? Yeah. Um, and and even giving them a pass when they don't do well on the written examination, you know, because they need them so badly, um, that is where corruption is rife. It, it's generally a way that that co- that police precincts um, have weaknesses when they start off badly. And so this this document it's uh, written by Hubert Williams. Uh, who is the uh, president of the Police Foundation, which is a national, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting innovation and the improvement of policing. Uh, he wrote this PDF called uh, Core Factors of Police Corruption Across the World. And in it, he has some incredible examples of around the world, but also in the U.S. of basically practices within police departments that cause corruption. And uh, one of the examples here is with specifically with recruitment, as you said, Curtis. So he gives an example um, of a New Orleans Police Department in 1993. Um, a uh, Antoinette Frank uh, failed the civil service uh, psychiatric evaluation upon applying to the police department. Um, she was undeterred by this rejection. Uh, she hired her own psychiatrist to find her fit. And this initiative... Uh, this initiative earned her a place in the department when a second civil service psychiatrist found her suitable after comparing the two previous evaluations. Um, uh, it goes on to say this evaluation procedure was entirely within department guidelines. Um, it basically was just a horrible use of procedure within the department, though, because later on... Um, it showed that Miss Frank's mental health and uh, her, uh, uh, I guess you could say, uh, like um, moral compass. Moral compass, yes, were just completely skewed. So um, she was with the department for a couple years, but in 1995, 
uh, Antoinette Frank, uh, with an accomplice, entered a restaurant in New Orleans, and they held uh, they held and executed a security guard and two of the owner's children. Gosh. Um, and to add to the horror of the incident, Miss Frank had moonlighted at the restaurant before, knew the family, and even responded to their call following the shooting as though she knew nothing about it. Um, and obviously, any cop is going to say this yeah. is wrong, shouldn't have happened. Like that's the like the easier you know example. They're not always quite as clear cut as that. And so even though she slipped through the police department and through their procedures, um, the court did sentence her to death. Wow, that's, um, un- that's unusual. Yeah. And so then um, along with recruitment, um, another thing that often leads to um, corruption is a severe lack of accountability within police departments. Um, one example of this, uh, or let me scroll down and find it, Sorry. Uh, was in, I believe it was in New Orleans again. Yes. So uh, it says, corruption is a liability to occur when supervisors turn a blind eye to the warning signals of police misconduct. Uh, That was the case for Len Davis, a police officer in New Orleans, who ordered the murder of Kim Groves after learning that she had filed a brutality complaint against him. Mm. Uh, Federal agents learned about the intended murder because they had already had Mr. Davis under surveillance for alleged drug dealing and happened to be making a recording of him as he ordered the killing. Uh, that was a stroke of luck since uh, Mr. Davis's supervisors had evidently missed or ignored numerous warning signs that the officer was out of control. Evidence that emerged at Mr. Davis's subsequent trial revealed that he had been on the subject of about 20 complaints involving brutality and physical intimidation between 1987 and 1992. Uh, In most instances, the complaints had not been sustained. In one case, however, he had been suspended for 51 days after having hit a woman in the head with his flashlight. Uh, As one candid officer told a reporter, he's got an internal affairs jacket as thick as a telephone book, but supervisors had swept his dirt under the rug for so long that it is coming back to haunt them. I mean, you know, what is the what is the reward for supervisors covering up for bad officers like you know that's something i I actually didn't read anywhere they don't have to deal with it or they agree with the cop and rather just keep them on the force the, I, maybe yeah, it's the, that the brotherhood brother thing because brother yeah. thing. then it goes on here's another instance actually in los angeles in uh, uh the 1990s and we all know how messed up the lapd was in the 90s and pretty much always uh, so supervisor negligence or complicity similarly accounted for widespread corruption in the Rampart Division of the Los Angeles Police Department. Uh, the corruption came to light in 1999 after Rampart Officer Rafael Perez, who had been caught for stealing, no joke, had been caught for stealing a million dollars worth of cocaine from the evidence storage facilities. Oh, my God. Um, he signed a plea bargain, which he promised to uncover corruption within the LAPD. Uh, Mr. Perez eventually implicated about 70 other Rampart officers in wrongdoing and painted a picture of a division where it was routine to conduct illegal searches, beat and shoot suspects, plant illicit drugs on them, and lie under oath. In recounting these incidents, uh, Mr. Perez also showed how the LAPD had created an environment that allowed corruption to flourish. Supervisors missed or ignored signs that should have been tipped to them um, off to cor- uh, should have been tipped them should have tipped them off to corruption in a local police station, 
and there was a general lack of oversight by command supervisors going all the way up through the department. Uh, moreover, telltale signs of poor performance, such as suspicious paperwork, slipped right through supervisors, not only in Rampart Division, but also throughout the 10,000-member police force. Um, it's it's just awful. Um, it says the, the culture of corruption that produced the Rampart scandal also accounted for an act gratitude, an act of gratuitous and revolting brutality that two police officers in the city of New York inflicted on Haitian immigrant Abnar Luima. Uh, the horror of the incident is not simply that two officers in police in a police station in New York felt free to sodomize a man with a wooden stick, leaving him with severe internal injuries. It is also a graphic expression of the underlying racism that taints American police departments and emboldened the two white officers to deny Luima's humanity as they defiled his body. It is the fact that one of the other officers present at the police station um, at, didn't ask any questions. In addition, it is the fact that no officer at the police station formally reported the alleged attack. And in the months following the incident, only two officers, two officers came forward to provide any useful information. So nobody reported it. Nobody said anything to the officers. And only two officers came forward with any information at all. This code of silence thing has to stop. Yeah. It's, it is it is sort of at the root of what makes this awful. You know, I don't care if your brothers or not or sisters. You know, you, you shouldn't feel okay with standing by as something like this happens and then not reporting it. Wow. It's just crazy. I don't get it. It continues that, so the nurse who treated Mr. Luima, um, she was supposed to file a report and send it to the Internal Affairs Bureau at the police department, but her complaint was never properly lodged or reported. Wow. It goes on to say that, um, in other words, the Internal Affairs Bureau, charged with rooting out incidents of abuse, had also followed the rules of police culture by keeping silent. I mean, once it's that corrupt, it's not that surprising that it goes all the way up, right? And, but that's what the culture create. Like that's the culture. That's yeah. that's but what. It, but it's there. It's I don't. I think we need to be fair too. It's not just in the police force. Perhaps maybe their biggest implications are this code of silence. But we see this very early on in the fraternity system. Yeah. We see it on Wall Street. We see it in a lot of places. Is this code of like protection? I just think that the consequences of this this brotherhood or just like this code of silence in the police force is larger. But there, you know, we do see this like boys club mentality starting as young as like, you know, 18 years old in college and covering up hazing stuff. And well, and even though it is mostly men at this point, I don't think it's necessarily just a male no, protection no, definitely thing. Not. I think it's more, I think it just gets associated with it because men are associated with ego. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's mostly just <laughs> ego. Like I think a woman or women could be just as likely to do the same thing and protect a, a man or protect another woman. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, I just, I don't know, just putting that out there. But I do think like there is some human aspect of we don't want to like tell on our... Yeah. Our friends and our buddies. And but like, once they do something so bad, how are they still your friend? I, and that's a great question. You know? Because you're not the when you're when you're put it, when when you constantly hear the ridiculing and the antagonizing that you get from the outside, you know, the quote unquote outside world. 
but you have your brothers there who have your back every day and they're with you every day no matter what can you go against that i think it's it's more to do with fear though and self-protection you know to to be a quote-unquote snitch um is you know you can get you you can get just well, your I mean, career ruined. We right? talked That's about it, fair. and sometimes it doesn't do anything, you know, any either. We talked about it in I, I, part one or part two. I can't remember where you know police officers were afraid to talk about um, the you know like George Floyd or it may be because they have the union threatening to take away their pension if they talk against their brotherhood you know like that's 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 a real thing it goes up the ladder well and you know what this does these kind of acts of corruption like they they have this really big effect this quote here says um acts of corruption by people in power have long shaken public faith in government um but the loss of public faith is particularly acute when those acts involve the police that's because the public relies on the police to uphold the law, protect the community, and assist it in times of need. Police are also the most visible arm of the government for most citizens mm-hmm. and a yardstick by which they measure authority. When an officer acts illegally, he or, or say or she or they dishonors both themselves and the law and justice system that they represent. Um, you know, so there's a lot of incentive in keeping your honor as a police person um, to do the right thing, even when it's not easy. And yet it doesn't always get done because they don't want to be that one guy that snitched. What I meant, it's got to be really hard, right? You know, I I, I imagine it, there's just such an immense amount of peer pressure like it's it's got to be so incredibly hard. Like I mean, it's it's no different than you're you're hanging out with your group of friends. You know, you're you're a kid, and you know your friends are doing something, and you know you know it's not right. But they're like, come on, come on, come on. It's the same thing. But you're a police officer. You are a moral standard, and but, uh, if you're not that moral standard, you're not a police officer. I feel like you're underestimating the like the that yeah, you're a police officer, but like. To an extent, you're still that same person who can fall under that peer pressure. And when you're under that much pressure, like it's, I don't know, it's, I don't get it don't though, know. because like they ha- you know, they always talk about this thing where like when you put on the badge, you become a different person. So yeah. why is that a thing when when you're being a cool badass cop, but not a thing when you have to do the right thing and it's inconvenient? Obviously, something about the culture has to change to incentivize like telling the truth and also to destigmatize quote unquote snitching. Like, obviously, there is something culturally going on in the system. And I do think it has a lot to do with, like, the brother bandhood, whatever. It's like yeah. the military. Like, you guys go through a lot of shit together. You you develop whatever. So I'm not quite sure how you break that barrier down. But clearly, there's a lack of incentivi- like incentivization to tell the truth. So mm-hmm. something has to shift there. Well, and let's look at our guy, Johnson Jack, right? So he's done something illegal. He's kind of tipping that edge. And you know, he's out on patrol at some point. And he witnesses another officer say, I don't know, unnecessarily hit someone they pulled over with their flashlight. You know, we'll say police brutality. And they go off. They don't report it. He doesn't report it. Whether he's scared, whether he's trying to protect the officer. The other officer later on says, hey, you know, thanks for having my back out there. Gives him a sense of gratitude. All of a sudden the police chief comes, you know, calls him into his office and says, hey. You know, I heard you did something great out there. Good job. You know, we're going to 
put you on a better schedule. We're going to do something to benefit you. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, so this is okay, you know, whatever. And then he goes out, and at some point, he gets pushed over the edge, as people do, and he commits some form of act of police brutality. And guess what? That same officer who he intentionally or unintentionally had his back, all of a sudden, he's got his back. And it just goes down the ladder, and it builds and builds and builds and it takes away the incentive to do something good or to say anything or whatever it may be because the incentive is to stay quiet because that's how you protect the people or that's how you continue the fear of saying something within the police force. And unfortunately, it doesn't really help out the community because all of a sudden the community says, hey, if all they're doing is staying quiet and they're not keeping each other accountable, we can't rely on them anymore. And all of a sudden, Officer Johnson Jack is just another symbol of a corrupt police officer. Didn't mean to start that way, but the system kind of sent him down that path. And, and you know, of course, when this happens, the community doesn't want to rely on you anymore. And this is really happening now and has been for a while with the black community. And yeah. I wanted to mention a couple of quotes from a really excellent book called Policing the Black Man. Highly recommend you read it, whether or not you are black. I am not black, but I still thought it was so interesting. Um, they talk about a lot of they talk a lot about the harm that over policing black neighborhoods does to race relations. Um, that suddenly black people become afraid or irritated at the concept of inviting the police to help them in a situation, just like what you were saying, Kara. They have to weigh whether or not they actually need the police against how this could escalate and somebody innocent could be killed. Yeah. Um, and in the book's eyes, they say the justice system is broken. So even even at the point when it goes to a judge and 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 that's supposed to be your time to get to get justice, even that is broken. And so they, this is the examples they give. It says the entire justice system seems to be slanted against black and brown people. Statistically speaking, if a white person is the victim in a case, juries are far more likely to convict and go for the more severe punishment to the accused black person on trial. Prosecutors who play a numbers game to get as many wins as possible and to drop and, and, and to drop lost cases or like cases that can't be won um, will be will more likely pursue criminal charges against a black man accused of a crime against a white person because they know statistically they will be more successful. Isn't that crazy? I mean, mm -hmm. even at the level of the law, even if you even if you're trying to prove or you think you've proven, um, you know, that that this crime happened, a prosecutor will not even follow through with it if the person that is on trial is white mm -hmm. against a black victim. Well, I mean, we look at, I think it's another great, just blinding example in Brock Turner, mm. right? Mm. You know, he rapes an unconscious girl. He's caught by two guys in the middle of the act and he is let go because it would be too damaging to his life. Well, we can also see this in uh, the media is guilty of this too. Um, the way that we use like mugshots versus like pictures oh, of people. Yeah. Like it's very common to see like Chris Watts. He murdered his family in cold blood. And the picture we always see of him is like the loving dad and the, this <laughs> and that. And then there was a, a black woman who got arrested because she 
she forged an address to get her daughter into a better school district and we're using like her mugshot and just, yeah. this is a very common occurrence so just societally we just lend so much um forgiveness and like benefit of the doubt and so much much of it i think is unconscious too Ex- like exactly. i think the people that share the photos i don't think they're always trying to be biased i think no. they just do it it's mm-hmm. literally just like that thing i mentioned at the top of the episode is like these people were shocked when they realized that their reaction was to pull the trigger on a black man mm-hmm. versus a white man and they were like i i can't be racist and it's like no but like this is what we talk about when we talk about institutionalized racism like it's ingrained so deeply in the fabric of our communities in our country that it's inside you to some degree so it's our job as individuals to root that out and fix it Mm -hmm. and the book also talks about how with prosecutors the opposite is also true that when black people are the victims which actually is disproportionately the case Mm -hmm. um that that if if the person accused of the uh, um, of the crime is white, it often gets dropped, and and the reason that that prosecutors give at least in secret, like, I don't think they officially say these things, but they they say that statistically, black people are more likely to have lower educational backgrounds, and some prosecutors use that as a reason not to want to work with them. Essentially, they feel like they won't that the that the defend that or excuse me that the um, the victim won't be able to argue their case as well. And will be overlooked by a jury of be- of people who might be better educated and white, um, you know. So it's and 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 there and one thing that really pissed me off in this book is the decisions they make to prosecute or not prosecute is completely at their discretion. Right. And most of the time, it's actually even praised as a saver of taxpayer money when they decide not to prosecute some of these cases that are tougher. Um, and they, they want those wins. They want to prove that the taxpayer money is being used well, so they go after the easy fruit, and the easy fruit is the stereotypical black uh, criminal. Have either of you heard of the case of Curtis Flowers? No. Um, I, I implore both of you and everybody listening to this, um, go go to American Public Media, um, their investigative podcast called In the Dark. Listen to see, season one's great. But listen to season two where they cover the case of Curtis Flowers. It is the case of a man. Um, and spoiler alert, he is now freed. Um, but he was tried seven times over the course of like 23 years for a crime, for a quadruple homicide that he did not commit. And it's the entire case is based off of just racism, fraudulent claims, false witness statements. It's 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 horrific. And it's all because of this. Uh, the district attorney, who was just this racist piece of garbage, um, but he he would try him, he would get convicted, they would appeal, appeal would go through, and then he would try him again and try him again and try yeah. him again over just because he could, just because he wanted to. So you really check out season two of In the Dark by American Public Media. And just one last thing about the uh, – and that's interesting. I don't mean to pass over that. No, no, no. You're good. Um, I, just, I, just, I know we're running out of time. Um, one more really interesting thing about police and the black man I thought was really interesting um, is that it was talking about how, you know, if you if you want to understand why black people, even though they are a smaller percentage of the population, they get over overrepresented as far as getting arrested and, and, and uh, being part of the system – um, it's because at a young age, even as kids, um, they are way more likely, even though the, even though they are more likely to be the victim, they're more likely to actually be harassed 
by police for minor things you know you're skateboarding after dark or whatever these stupid things are that we that that they they defend as you know keeping the peace um that they are much more likely to be harassed and to be treated as an adult even if they are kids there's actually many studies that that have shown that that um the average person um, overestimates the age of black boys to be older than they actually are, and I've they treat that. them like adults, mm-hmm. even though they have adolescent minds. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing, and I can't remember. I think it was like a some news organization doing some, like you know, an experimental segment or whatever, where they got someone and they would you know point out like a white kid, and they'd ask their age, and it was always like, oh, they're you know eleven, whatever, and they usually get it right, and then it would be a black kid, and they're like, oh, well, he's you know seventeen, eighteen, but it was you know some. 12 13 year old kid and it's just it's crazy and it's those internal biases i guess like it's 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 one of those things that's really hard to explain or understand i guess you know and and republicans have really they really kind of went for this you know back the blue kind of thing and blue lives matter um i think for the wrong reasons because you know of course blue lives do matter but not corrupt ones and not if that is meant to be as a way to um, sort of contradict the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, they're not necessarily mobs just because they're protesting police yeah. violence. And one of the quotes from um, a story that was covering the Black Lives Matter uh, movement was saying that the numbers of, of of police killings of black people had dropped dramatically um, in the cities where they were protesting the most. Mm-hmm. However. That was off. That was offset by increases in black people being killed by officers in other places. Yeah. So it it, it it seemed to be working in some places, but also making it much worse in other places and agitating cops. Um, you know, who felt like they were just being attacked for doing their jobs. What's frustrating about the whole blue lives black matter or blue lives matter black lives matter thing for me is is you know that. All these deaths are completely unjustified, obviously terrible things, but instead of banding together saying, yeah, we can be better, we can all be better, it's an immediate defensive response. And I, I, I guess I don't understand that. Can I just also say, in my opinion, bl- a blue live is not a thing. Like, a, <laughs> you, you are not always a police officer. And I think we've talked about this before, but you, yeah. you do take off your uniform, you can go home you can be a normal person if you're especially if you're a white person like you you're not always a blue life you don't take off your black skin like Mm -hmm. i i just i really hate this analogy of like blue lives versus black what is a blue lives because you're only quote unquote blue lives while you're in your uniform well and i really don't like it because it was only used as a way to contradict black lives matter you know black lives matter didn't imply that other lives didn't matter or that blue lives or white lives or any other life didn't matter as much. All they were saying was we see the disproportionate number of black people being killed. We see the lack of justice disproportionately falling on our communities. And we, we want you to know that we're watching and we see this and that it matters. It's there was, there, there should have been no, it's just need like, to contradict that statement. No, it's literally like saying dogs matter, and then it's like, but dog mascots matter too. It's like that's not a dog. That's not mm. a thing. Like that's not you no. take off your mascot, whatever. Like or like like just just like somebody who say is a dog owner, 
I'll be like, what, do you hate cats? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like, I've, I've used this, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used this analogy quickly before, like another random episode we did where it's, it's the idea of like your left hand is hurt. And I'm saying, you know, your left hand matters. Well, what about my right hand? It's like, well, your right hand's perfectly fine. You've been taking care of it, but your your left hand is hurt. It's like, well, <laughs> but both of my hands matter. It's like, <laughs> yes, they important. do. But your left hand is hurt and it's been neglected. And it's okay to remind you, hey, like your left hand matters. It needs the attention. You can get your left hand attention. But instead what's happening is, hey, left hands matter. It's like, yeah, but my right hand matters. <laughs> okay, look at my right hand. It matters. Calm down, Rush like, Limbaugh. You know, and, and it's, it's frustrating that people can't just be like, okay, I see that your left hand is hurt. Let's repair that. Let's, let's get the left hand the help that it needs. I like that analogy because it's both part of your body. You are yeah. one thing. You know, we mm-hmm. are one people. We can all care about this. Yeah. Your left hand is just as important as your right hand. <laughs> you yes. know, like I like that. Um, if it's okay, I'd like to sort of conclude with with yeah. just this thin line, the blue thin line, thin blue line um, stuff, and then I think most of the other stuff we've kind of covered. Yeah, go for it. Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, it's the thin blue line, the whole idea of us and them. It's been the thing that's been consistent throughout this entire series. So I think it's a good place to conclude. Yeah, and you know, and depending on which side of this you're on, whether you're depending on your race and where you live, or whether you have you know cops that are in your family or whatever, you don't you know you might think the police are the problem, you might think police are the solution, um, and uh, there's and after the Black Lives Matter thing caught on, um, this blue thin blue line thing really kind of resurged. Um, originally it came from 1922, um, where Police Commissioner Richard Enright actually used it to uh to 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 quote say that police were that intensive battle line the first line of defense against criminality um and then it got sort of commandeered um in the modern age um when uh they created a flag you might have seen it um it has the thin blue line in the american flag by the way it actually kind of pisses me off when people use the american <clears throat> flag and change it yeah. to something that fits their narrative. Um, I don't care what it is. Like, I actually really think that's sort of non-respectful. Yeah. But whatever. Um, what well, the irony is that people, I'm never, I'm not going to change our flag. Well, but you you do every time you fly a, a blue line flag. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. I mean, I've seen flags that are all blue, right? Have you yeah. seen those? Yeah. I mean, just and the, they sometimes they put the, the Punisher character on there, which was a character that yeah. was a cop that basically broke all the rules, be, you know, that uh, beca- <clears throat> and, and actually like executed people on the spot and stuff. I mean, these people, they're, they're acting like they're being super patriotic, but really they're just sort of doing this dog whistle that's like not only saying that they don't think that the Black Lives Matter movement is important or, you know, or is justified, but is also saying that like in a way that like any cop, no matter what they do, is a-okay with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I, just, I really don't appreciate that. I don't like it. Um, it's a relatively new phenomenon um, that, that you know, it's like literally somebody, I forgot his name. I think we covered another part might have gotten deleted or something but uh but you know basically oh here it is um the modern use of it um 
dates back to only 2014. I was a brainchild of a white college student from an affluent suburb in Detroit, Andrew Jacob, uh, who found the outcry against police violence following the killings of Tamar Rice in Cleveland, Eric Gardner in New York, and Michael Brown in Ferguson distasteful. So he, uh, so he felt the protests lack reverence for the police and that we weren't appreciative of them. So he created that, that, that logo. Um, and he's literally making money off of this. Like, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. this isn't a nonprofit organization or something. Like, it's just this guy that that created a a, a popular logo that that a lot of people decided to start selling. Um, and yeah, and I, I if I want to end end off everything with um, a quote from a really interesting YouTube video. I don't agree with everything that that this guy said, um, but I love this idea of of us and them. Um, this feeling that you get um, from having a literal blue line um, on a flag that's that's supposed to represent this separation between cops and and the people that they that they are serving, um, and this idea of like what lo- side of the line do you think that you're on, and do you think that that could change tomorrow because whatever political winds shift, and suddenly the thing that you're doing that's legal today is illegal tomorrow. And this is the quote. Um, it goes, there are no barbarians no, and no chaos on the other side of the police, only our friends and neighbors, friends and neighbors who might be in crisis because of poverty, inadequate health care, or any number of situations that did not make them our enemies. Don't the police adopt an image of themselves with the origins of war that strike a discordant note against the classic police motto of to protect and serve. Doesn't it seem wrong for them to be the line dividing those who deserve dignity and those who don't? After all, if the police are the dividing line, it means not all of us deserve to be protected and not all of us are worthy of service. It means that they mark the boundary between people who are part of society and people who aren't. Where they stand determines who is us and who is them. And I really think you should check out the rest of that of that YouTube video. Um, there's there's a link in the description. Uh, if I can click on it, oh, it's called the philosophy of the thin blue line. Again, I don't agree with everything in the video, uh, but it is an interesting idea, and it's uh, it's by it's by a um, account called That Dang Dad, which I believe, <laughs> which I believe he actually was a former police officer, and there's a story there. I think so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was just dead on um, to the point of like, why why is there an us and them? And I guess that will conclude Good Cop Bad Cop. My goodness, what a long series. <laughs> Important. That was a dense one, guys. I'm sorry, guys. You guys got to give me an easier one next time. I well, <laughs> something that can be like done in like 20 minutes. <laughs> no, I I think you know this is one that's that's been a huge controversy for a long time, and it's I mean it's been the main controversy in the country for so many years now, and it's been consistently there since. I mean, since we talked since the early 1900s, you know, it's been there and it's been something that's everyone's been battling. And so I don't think it's a conversation that's going to end anytime soon, you know, but hopefully 
people create more understanding. I don't know. I really hope that, you know, cops listen to this and start understanding how they're perceived and how to maybe mm-hmm. change that so they can be the heroes they're supposed to be. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, hopefully y'all enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> you know, make sure to uh, uh, leave a, you know, rate and review on wherever you're listening. Uh, we do have some another heavy hitter coming up here soon. Uh, I don't think I'm going to say it now just in case it does change. Um, but we are going to be working on something that is actually very topical right now, um, thanks to Texas. Mm. But, uh, uh, yeah, if you want to get a hold of us, send us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. If you have any questions about uh, this series or any other episodes or, you know, if you have a topic that came to mind that you want us to cover, let us know and we will cover it. Uh, if you want to check us out, uh, you go to our website, uh, podcastwithoutborders.com. Just check us out also on any podcast app. Uh, follow us. Give us that subscription. Help us uh, build our numbers and uh, we'll keep on growing. But yeah, uh, Kara, Curtis, any final remarks, anything you want to plug before we sign off? No, I think I'm good. No, we've talked forever now. I think yeah. I'm good. <laughs> and I, for anybody interested, if you've lasted this long, um, I didn't say it at the top of the episode, but we're recording in person. Um, all in the same room. It's the first time. Yeah, this is the first time that we've all recorded together in person. Curtis is on a road trip to find out where he's going to live next. <laughs> and he's taking a look at Austin. And so we took advantage of the opportunity. And uh we got to finish off uh, – I think we got to finish off this series pretty strong together. So exciting stuff, y'all. We don't know when the next time we'll record in person, um, but it was fun to do it this time. So until then, we will talk to you all in the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Social Discord, part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get a hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.